Gun Damn Britannians! Colin, can the Glasgow still move? Don't worry, Oki. It's all right. I'll decoy them. Get the people out of here. The only ones that'll be captured are those of us in the Resistance. I know, but we're trapped. They've got us completely surrounded. All right, everyone, welcome back to episode 116 of Gundam at MHQ. This is one of your hosts, Neo, and joined with me always is Solbro and Chris. Actually, Chris, the dream killer, Guanche. <laughs> you can refer to me as such, for it is true. Oh. <laughs> Bows has dreams. I will let, destroy. L- let me feast upon your terrors, weaklings. <laughs> <laughs> Turn back, ye who are damned, for there is no hope when you enter here. Oh my goodness. <laughs> the the hopers and dreamers will rise against you. <laughs> this is not a very compelling uh, back and forth between hopes and dreams, uh, soul bro, and, uh, and hopes and dreams killer, Chris. It's like Chris has got it in there. Soul Bro's like, one of these days will rise up against you. I'm like, Chris was, a, Chris was Denzel Washington last episode. He was a man on fire. <laughs> I could not stand in the way of that. I couldn't. Man. Good times. <laughs> and like I said, this is episode 116. And in this episode, uh, we're going to be going back to doing a review of a, of a show that we... I don't even know how long ago we did. Probably close to probably a year ago mm-hmm. but we're going to be covering uh the second season of transformers prime yes 50 percent more heart and soul in this one what yeah. <laughs> it's not good enough because only the original had heart and soul oh no <laughs> the west is just quap to sell toys oh yes because oh, no. because <laughs> because original generation never wanted to sell any toys that was about the actual the the struggle be between the evil Decepticons and the mighty Autobots, right? It was all it was all, it was it was all genuine. War story with character development, and then these are just trying to sell you toys like little <laughs> kitty shows. Okay. Well, thank you, thank you, Mister Hopes and Dreams, or, or Mister Heart and Soul, actually. But um, so yes, we'll be doing uh, the second season of Transformers Prime, and uh, after that, we have another interview with another voice actress, and this is going to be um, from a lot of favorites of uh, Gundam, a lot of shows uh, she's been involved in, and that's uh, Karen Strassman. It's actually uh, some pretty good stuff, so definitely check that out. Um, but before that, we're going to be doing some Neo's Listener Submitted News. But before I do the news, I'm going to make one proclamation. Oh. Um, I had a meeting in Antarctica last week mm-hmm. with uh, Jabman. <laughs> and uh, in the last episode, uh, I referred to his Jabman as Jabman the Idiot. Oh, you no. know, I thought that would be his uh, like Game of Thrones name. <laughs> but... Um, we, we've we've come to a consensus. He is now he's no longer Jabman the idiot. He will be known as Jabman the Hoper. So, how about how about Jabman the Destined? 
about Batman the Pathetic. Oh, oh no, 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 no. no. <laughs> Jabman the Hoper, because he wasn't too happy with me. So, Jabman, there's your olive branch. Choke on it. Um, <laughs> and uh, going to some uh, here in the Larry King Memorial Newsroom. Can be doing uh, some Neo's listener submitted news articles, and always you can post those on the Neo's listener submitted news articles thread in the Gundam section of the Mecha Talk forum. And the first one here comes from Arbiter Gundam, and this is yeah, surprise to me. It's not Macross. It's not a Macross news. That's nuts. It, it, no questions for him this episode. No <laughs> 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 on this article. Um, he says here. Has Abrams pulled a fast one with us on Star Trek villain? And uh, this is coming from the bleedingcool.com uh, website. I don't know what this website is. I don't know. But it, I guess Paramount finally named Benedict Cumberbatch's Star Trek villain. And I guess the guys. Uh, and you know what's funny is they show the picture here. Mm-hmm. And I guess in this new Star Trek movie, the they. Uh, renovated the Enterprise because now it has a brig, as opposed to in the first Star Trek where they couldn't put Kirk in it. They just shot him out the freaking escape pod. <laughs> I think that was probably just more Spock being a dick. I guess. But um, Plus, uh, co- plot convenience of he needed to get shot onto this planet where old Spock just happened to be, as did young Scotty. Yes, yes, yes. But uh, based on this picture, there was a caption, the official caption for the image. And it says, Zachary Quino is Spock. Benedict Cumberbunch is Jonathan. Cumberbunch? <laughs> what did you say? You said Cumberbunch. It, it's Cumberbatch. It's a freaking regular name, dude. Um, I'm sure he's working on that. John Harrison and Chris Pine is Kirk in Star Trek. Into the Darkness for Paranaut Picture. And it says here, what John Harrison, and I guess uh, in this article they said he's, uh, sp- uh, he was, uh, this Harrison character was in several early episodes of the original series. And I guess according to Star Trek.com. I don't recall there ever being anyone named that in the original series. I'm just going by what's from- here, man. Don't kill the messenger. I'm not uh, talking to you. I'm talking, I'm yeah. saying I've, I don't Oops. recall that. Yeah, this, I do have a comment to make about about this. Let me finish this one part, and you can go no. through hopes and dreams on this. Uh, the, uh, according to StarTrek.com, the entry reads: A technician, first class, on the USS Enterprise in 2267, Harrison nearly suffocated on the bridge when Khan cut the air supply. Captain Kirk's re- log reflected a commendation for him. I mean, his turd or his? That's that's okay. kind of reaching because that's a pretty generic name. Yeah, um, I I don't know. I mean, um, I'd have to go back and watch this episode when he shows up. But I mean, whatever. But Sounds like thought, a nobody. Thoughts? Just anything? I, I think. Okay. It's, I th- go ahead. I don't. I mean, I know this is all done because this is you know uh, page what's referred to as page view journalism mm-hmm. of let's just endlessly speculate about who the heck this guy is and what his name is and is he Khan or isn't he or blah, 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 blah. And my thought about this is, who really gives a crap? Oh, I mean, the movie doesn't come out until May. 
Does yeah. it really matter at all if you know now or if you read 10,000 articles of speculation, people who don't know what the hell they're talking about, about who they think it is? Does it really affect your life in any way, shape, or form to just have to know what this guy's name is or who he is? Who cares? You'll find out when you see the damn movie. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so stupid. Isn't J.J. Uh, Abrams like notorious for giving a bunch of red herrings and yes. just a bunch of you know, fluff and, you know, just, uh, you know, things to kind of, you know, make people think one yeah. thing, but go the other way. And they've been playing up. I mean, they, he knows that fans are like this. So they've been playing yeah. up the whole time, the whole, like, is he Khan? Isn't he, is he Gary Mitchell? Isn't he? And all of the fans have very predictably just been twisting themselves in the knots over this. And he's probably just laughing it up. So again, <laughs> Who cares? Doesn't matter who he is. You'll you'll see the movie and then you'll know. Yeah, big freaking deal. I I I, I, I you know it's it's Abrams. He likes he just as uh, Neo says he likes to uh, uh, throw red herrings in there and it's sure, uh, but people don't have to fall for them. Yeah, no, you don't have to. I mean, it's it's all he's gonna throw in things from people's speculations as to if the villain's Khan or if it's uh, Gary Mitchell and and just throwing little homages to that. But watch him be probably an original character. <laughs> but again, this is all this is all about traffic and yeah. any movie blog you go to that posts for the ten thousandth time, mm -hmm. we know who <laughs> Cumberbatch <laughs> is playing. Cumberbunch was a bunch, by the way. Sherlock Cumberbunch, huh? We, we know who Cumberbunch <laughs> is playing in Star Trek. Click here and retweet it five thousand times, please. Oh man. <laughs> we gotta we gotta we gotta make our hosting bill this month. Gotta bring in those viewers. <laughs> Well, yeah. okay. I don't, I don't care if he's Khan or Gary Mitchell or Q or Trelane mm -hmm. or whoever the hell. As long as he's compelling, that's all that matters. Okay. okay. Well, well, I mean, <laughs> it is J.J. Abrams, so tread lightly. Um, Arbiter Gundam, thank you for your submission. Next one here comes from Lightning Count, and I guess uh, this is coming from the Anime News Network. And it's been confirmed, uh, actually, through a website uh, that the upcoming Fafner sequel, Soku no Fafner Exodus, is being greenlit for next year. So don't really have too many other details on that. So we'll keep you posted as uh, more news comes. But, you know, more Fafner news or more, more Fafner anime is always some great stuff. And thank you, Mr. Lightning Count here. And uh, the next one here comes from Rodimus76, and I, I have to say, Rodimus76 is making a—he's making a play to become the official survey reporter because uh, this Joker is always putting up some survey news, which is always good stuff because we always love the survey news here. And uh, this is coming from GeekTyrant.com, and I don't know if this is like legitimate or not, but I guess. Um, some of this news shouldn't be too much of a problem because they're just rep probably reposted from another website because that's how the internet is now. Um, <clears throat> journalism, what is that? Um, it was announced uh, about, a, uh, about a month ago that Mark Wahlberg is going to be in there, but uh, now they're um, announced that Mark Wahlberg is going to be the father of a high school girl that has a biker boyfriend, and the lead female role is... Uh, Nicole Pulitz, and she was in The Last Airbender and Bates Motel. And I'm kind of a little disappointed in the survey because I thought we she should have been. Shouldn't he pick the, um, the, the, the girl from, you know, the holiday catalog of Victoria's Secret? I mean, that's what he's usually done. So 
<laughs> and the biker boyfriend is Benton Thawaitis. So um, I guess that's going to be the uh, the young boy and the young girl. And she's kind of a cute girl. If you look on the link here, kind of cute, a little weird. But, the, of course, the guy looks like every other guy of course. Uh, right now. So, <laughs> But uh, thank you, Mr. Rodimus76, for your survey news. Uh, next one here comes from Gundam Type Zero. And this is going to be some exciting stuff. Both of you guys have 3DSs, right? No. <laughs> oh. Um, I am probably getting one soon. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, it's been announced by Famitsu that the Super Robot Wars uh, latest entry is going to be re- uh, arriving on the 3DS. Hmm. And that's going to be the new Super Robot Wars UX game. So, uh, well, sadly, that does me no good since the 3DS is region locked. Terrible. Oh, man, that stinks. Well, it's going to have playable robots from 16 titles, including eight that were debuting in the franchise, such as Demon Bane, Fafner, Dead Aggressor, Heaven and Earth, The Wings of Rian. Oh, my God. Oh, shit. Oh, (laughs) Imperial. You could have played as The Wings of Rian. (laughs) Oh, man, that. Damn you, region lock. Uh, virtual can, can, on. Can I spout about uh, how like Imperial Japan is so awesome and everything else sucks? <laughs> Pretty much, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> virtual on, Fei Yin. Uh, Mobile Suit Gundam, 00, the movie, Awakening of the Trailblazer. I wonder if you get to play the Trailblazer in this one. <laughs> Who Gundam? is the Trailblazer? Does what wake- did they awaken? <laughs> The Trailblazers were in Portland. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> SD Gundam, Sankukuten, Brave Battle Warriors. Nice. Mazen Kaiser SKL. Mazen Kaiser with pilot Ken Kanato. And Hero Man, Hero with pilot Joey. So that is what you're going to be missing because you, you're getting a region like 3DS. Ha 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 So if Hero Man's in there, does that mean Stanley gets to make a cameo? <laughs> I don't know. It didn't say that. So maybe not. Stanley helps to Stanley helps to produce Hero Man or has something he created to do with it. it. Yeah, did not cre- know that. Get out of here! Yeah. What? You have just guess, guess that wasn't there in your uh, your DVR. I guess I, I have just been learned. <laughs> it was also I'm, kind of big news when it was created. Yeah, he had done it. Damn, yeah. I, I didn't realize that. I, 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 I as as usual, I'm I'm outside of the. Uh, I, I'm I'm I'm, I'm behind a step the behind. curve. Always behind the curve. That's Always that's behind the curve. Well, shit. <laughs> the world doesn't start with a late and a dollar and short. And Damn. It doesn't. <laughs> if it was a fighting game, I know all about it. Oh shit. <laughs> well, thank you, Mister Gundotype Zero, for your submission. The next one here is from Rodimus seventy six, and uh, you know, so bro, what you should do here is what's that? To stay up to current events on everything. Mm-hmm. You should create some kind of like script. Maybe you could do this in Firefox or or Chrome, mm-hmm. and uh, it'll insert fighting game references into all news. Nice. No matter what it is, like you know, uh, Obama signs budget deal with Republicans. Mm-hmm. Obama signs budget deal with M Bison. Nice, nice. He plinked and, into the budget deal and did a two in one. <laughs> and, and that way, no matter what the news is, if it's in a fighting game context, you will always be up to date because you'll just be reading everything. Nice. So, nice. what do you what do you think Obama's? Um, if President Obama was put in Street Fighter Four, what would be his finishing move? <laughs> the Raging Demon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
was a, I was looking for something a little bit more creative, but okay. Hey, man. Next, next, uh, <laughs> next news topic here. Uh, this comes from Rodimus76, and he's got something here. I guess he loves this website, The Geek Tyrant. I don't know what this is all about. Mm-hmm. But maybe you guys know about this, but there, he's talking about here. Geek Tyrant, that must be me. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> yeah, you're the dream tyrant. Oh, um, damn. <laughs> And it's talking about, I guess, James Cameron had a, a short from 1978 called Xenogenesis. Really? Yes. And if it's uh, served, supposedly it served as a major inspiration for his creation of Avatar. I don't know about that. I think uh, money had, was the major inspiration for Avatar. Um, and I, I guess they go through a whole thing where they detail some of the uh, breakdown of how he worked on this uh, project and it relates to uh, Avatar, so I guess check that I'll be out. I'm sure not to watch it. Oh, <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Rodimus76. The next one here comes from Haro Master, and this is a very disturbing, very freaking disturbing um, <clears throat> article here, and this comes from CNET, so I know it's freaking pretty true. And I'm seeing these pictures here, and this is not good. Not good at all. And I don't even like the name that they call this robot. It's called the, the headline here is Headless Keneshiro Muscle Bot Gets Ripped at the Gym. Yes, the Japanese have gone crazy. They made a robot that's got movable muscles with servo motors and stuff, and it does like calisthenics and stuff. This is not good because if you look at this picture, all you got to do is put the Terminator head on this, and it's hunting. It's no, man. Pro- what this means is that porn bots aren't that far away. Ooh. It's the next step. Yeah, well, porn bots are there, but then it says here it was originally uh, developed as a scrawny kid bot in 2001. Kenneshiro has been packing on muscle mass with 70 degrees of freedom or axis of motion. as 160 muscles with 22 in its neck, 12 in its shoulders, 76 in its abdomen, 50 in its legs. It's designed to mimic the body of a 12-year-old Japanese male. Oh, there you go, soul bro, young Asian boy. Oh, Lord. Five foot two. <laughs> you getting excited here? Weighing 110 pounds. <laughs> well, the, the, na- the name gets me excited, man. He'll be making heads explode in no time, man. You are yes. already dead. Yeah. And that- <laughs> oh, this is just, oh, my God. Where are the tomes? I don't even see them. I usually have them by the tome altar here in the uh, in the in the news studio, and I just can't see them right now. So, Haro Master, you just scared the living shit out of me with that story. Um, but thank you for your story, anyways. Oh, you're from the Philippines, so yeah. Oh, oh man, it's bad. Young Asian boys all over there. Uh, <clears throat> this one here comes from a, uh, a very rare poster here, Soul Bro Ryu. Oh snap! Who's that? Yeah. Must be and some he, Capcom trash. Holy <laughs> shit. Actually, actually, Soulbro submitted something that has nothing to do with fighting games. <laughs> it's, it's the Pacific Trim Railer. Or the Pacific, Pacific Trim Railer? <laughs> the Pacific Trim Trailer is mm. up YouTube. And yes, we've all seen it. It's amazing. I am excited. If this movie is half as good as the freaking trailer, it's going to be amazing. Chris, your thoughts? Where's Wallace String? <laughs> That, well, that is the that is the second part of Soul Bro submission. There. <laughs> finally, the immortal question has been answered, and you go there, and it is talking about where is Wallace. So, <laughs> but thank you for that uh, input, there, uh, Chris. Soul Bro, your thoughts of the Pacific Rim trailer? All I know is uh, we're filming this. Uh, I'm sorry, we're not filming. We're recording this 
on uh on the 21st of uh of december so um the the apocalypse is upon us what's that it's the 20th for me it's the 20th for you because right because uh we're over on the east coast uh and uh paul's over in uh cali but um yeah uh if anything the apocalypse is is hey guys i don't uh, know if you got the memo but Mm-hmm. Apocalypse is canceled. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, for Age yourself, but in the trailer it says the apocalypse is canceled. I believe him. Okay. <laughs> but I still want to oh. know where's Wallace. Exactly. <laughs> well, if you watch that link, the, that question is going to be answered for you. But man, the Pacific Trim trailer looks. Pacific the, Trim Trim trailer <laughs> looks. That'll be, that'll be the porno equivalent. <laughs> yeah. Why did I say the Pacific Trim? Or <laughs> correct on that one. Woo. It looks amazing. The, the only the only I'll better stick, part I, about I got a robot this, sticking to your kaiju. <laughs> only better part about this is when I went to the official website mm-hmm. and I saw what Stringer Bell's name is going to be oh. in the in Pacific Rim. Mm-hmm. General Stacker Pentecost. There you go. Is that just an ass kicking kaiju? Ask kicking kaiju name if there ever was one. Yes. Yep. And he's so dead in that movie. You know he's going to die. And and and, and I will say it now. If this movie ends up being amazing, like hopefully it will be, I will strongly sanction a Mobile Suit Gundam live action movie. But somewhere, uh, Guillermo del Toro has to be involved, either as director or producer. So <laughs> there you go. And Sorbet doing explosions. Sorbet. Um, but um, thank you, Mr. Solbro Ryu, for your submission. You're welcome. Wherever you are. Oh. <laughs> oh, Arbiter Gundam comes back with some um, Macross news. Oh, oh, I guess he is getting those yes. commissions. Oh, shit. Yes. We're going to give him this commission on this one. This is from the Animated News Network. The Macross 30 PS3 Games four-minute promo has been streamed. I just want to know one thing, Mister mm-hmm. Mister Arbiter. If you could answer this question for us, since you keep posting so much about this damn game on the Facebook, are you going to buy the damn game? Ooh, damn. and you have a PlayStation. <laughs> then it sounds like there's a problem here. <laughs> well, someone's getting too worked up over a game they're not even going to play. Yeah. Oh shit. Well, this is some of the specifics on this. This is uh, Namco Bandai instead of that other company, Namkey Bandy or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I remember they be- them. They they began streaming. They they merged with Namco Bandai. Um, the first full minute promotional video for Macross Thirty Ginga O Tensica whatever. Um, I don't even know these names anymore. Um, it's a role playing game. Ooh, fun that combines combines multiple Macross characters from different eras. Ooh. The opening theme song is Planet Cradle, and the ending theme is Wandering. Ooh. And uh, it's a brand new 30th an- anniversary Macross title set in 2060, 50 years after the Space War One conflict seen in the first Macross series, or the best part of Robotech, um, <clears throat> and one year after Vajra War seen in Macross Frontier. It's above uh, the planet Ouroboros in the far reaches of the galaxy. SMS pilot Rayon Sagaki is suddenly attacked by an unknown enemy and shot down in this transformable Vario fighter, VF-25. Then he is rescued by the heroine, Aisha Blanchett, the young Centrati head of SMS's branch on Ouroboros. Ooh, that sounds amazing. Chris, oh, you have a PS3? Yeah. Are you going to buy this? I don't know. <laughs> oh, bro, I know you have a PS3, but I know all it's there for is Hulu. I see. So, <laughs> oh, after you, anything. <laughs> 
I just, I, it, it, this game's going to cost a fortune to import, so I probably won't be picking it up. Plus, it's an it also RPG. depends how. Uh, yeah, it's it's an RPG. Yeah. It's, yeah. With, it's an action RPG, so the RPG part is a no for me with all of that moon speak. I've so I've struggled enough through our Japanese RPGs back in the, back in the old Saturn and the PlayStation One days. I, it's just. I just I can't do it anymore. If it was just a straight up action game like the Gundam versus, oh yeah, that already have a bunch of English to begin with, mm-hmm. and I have a basic enough knowledge of Japanese to get through it, that's fine. But when Absolutely. you get into RPG territory, that's that's a no for me. Even if you, even even if you fake your way through it, um, you know you don't get the you don't right, get the you're the, not taking the best it. part, <laughs> which is the story. You're not buying it, Arbiter. You're not getting the commission. <laughs> Well, Thank you for your submission, though. If he does, he better jump on that Rosetta Stone. <laughs> Next one here comes from Bloody Night, mm-hmm. and it's from the Anime News Network. And there's a new promo that's being streamed for the super robot anime, Majestic Prince. So check that out. I'm just going to give you a teaser on that one. Check it out. Nice. Thank you, Bloody Night, for your submission. Is, is, is the sexy voice for the tease? Yes. Like, in a world. <laughs> yeah, check out this video. It's really hot. I know. I noticed that everybody's favorite designer is on this one for characters, man. Hisashi, oh, yeah. His, Best his, designer ever in the history his, of characters. Hisashi Hurai, um, uh, Mr. Uh, Mobile Suit Gundam and, and, um, and Fafner and uh, numerous other shows. <laughs> Mr. I draw the same face on everybody. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> just look at the promo here. Yeah, it's... Well, but he's got the same face, but different hair. I was already trying to see, like, in the trailer, which seed character or Fafner character does this person look like? <laughs> <laughs> is that like a drinking game? <laughs> if that is, you die alcohol poisoning within the first two minutes. My God. Oh, my God. I mean, that looks like that dude from... Like if- Hira and Shin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that looks like that dude from Infinite Revias. <laughs> yeah, that too. Man. But thank you for your submission. Next one here comes from Gundam Type Zero. Another new anime from Sunrise. Oh, it's a mecha anime called Balvary the Liberator. And they announced, they showed a commercial on a Friday morning that announced it's producing an original mech anime called Balvary the Liberator. The tagline in the commercial is expose the world. Good thing it wasn't expose yourself because that would have been creepy. Bless your soul, bro, and it's a bunch of young Asian boys. But what? thank you, Mr. Guns and Type Zero, for your submission. Horrible. <laughs> People are going to think I'm freaking Sandusky, dude. <laughs> and two young Asian boy references in one uh, oh. segment. Is that a record? I think I'm about to throw up, man. <laughs> oh. Right Play with me, boy. Who am I, Kevin Clash? <laughs> Hey, you know what's funny about that? I oh. went to check on, on Sobro's world of Netflix mm-hmm. just out of curiosity, and Becoming Elmo is gone. Yeah, they took it off. I saw that. <laughs> I never got around to seeing it, and now I never will. It is ghost. I knew they were going to rip it off, too. It's like I almost wanted to watch it when the news broke just to see it before they pulled it off to see how effed up this guy is. Uh, just how the- creepy is it in retrospect watching wow, it? Oh, <laughs> yeah, man. And... <laughs> Now that news broke, man, I, I feel sick to my stomach about that, dude. I, Although, if you want some creepiness, uh, just go listen to Highland Babylon and hear Ralph Garman's uh, Creepy Elmo. <laughs> Episode 108. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Like, Elmo loves you. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. You know what's funny about that is I was on Netflix the other day, mm-hmm. and there's a... Um, 
there's a documentary about Elmo and that guy that's being accused of all that stuff. So we're yeah, talking about that, that's it being Elmo becoming, becoming Elmo. They they uh, they took it down. Yes, they took it down. It used to be up there, but it's ghost. And it was <laughs> always on like the frequently suggested. Yeah, not anymore. Play with me, boy. Play with Elmo, boy. <laughs> um, but thank you for your submission. Next one here comes from Rodimus76, and he might be bestowed. He, he may get, if you keep this up, Rodimus76, with the survey news, you, you might become the uh, the Bay exclusive reporter. This comes from the Geek, Geek Tyrant, and it's uh, talking here. There's some new survey news. What's with this website? Is he getting commissions from these people? I, he must, because <laughs> between him and freaking Arterber or whatever. Arterber. <laughs> Have you been pre-gaming before we recorded? <laughs> Because <laughs> it sure sounds like it. <laughs> it's no secret that the Transformers uh, franchise headed in a different direction with a whole new cast, whole new set of robots that will battle each other. And um, Mark Wahlberg is teaming with Michael Bay. So, um, yeah, it says that everything's going to be very different about Transformers 4. So that's some good news. We'll keep you posted on that. Next one here comes from Necton GM. And this comes from the Anime News Network. And the title says Five Store Stories Manga to Resume a New Type Magazine. Chris, your thoughts? <laughs> Just put him on the spot, huh? <laughs> well, I mean, what else? Because it, it, you know, it had stopped for a while and basically... Yeah, for a while, like six like, years. Yeah, 2006. And now they're restarting it because this is one of those things where it's like, I never thought it was going to finish, so... But I know well, as residents, it's, it's no surprise since uh, Nagano was working on Gothic Made, a Mamoru Nagano presents a Mamoru Nagano film written by Mamoru Nagano, storyboarded by Mamoru Nagano, edited by Mamoru Nagano, produced by Mamoru Nagano, directed by Mamoru Nagano. Damn. Mecha designs by Mamoru Nagano. Character designs by Mamoru Nagano. And he has a one-man army. <laughs> Just a narcissist. There you but. go. What's your thoughts on this, Chris? Are you happy now? Are you giddy, like Solpo on the nostalgia train? Maybe, maybe there is hope for the world. <laughs> maybe the world is not coming to an end after all. Solpo, your thoughts on this? I think it's great. I know he's been taking a sweet time with getting all this mug out, um, but he's a, he's an incredible artist, and um, I, I've, I've got to I got to pick up on reading the manga. Uh, I love the uh, the OVAs though, and and five star stories is always you mean been OVA. Yeah, the OVA. What am I saying? <laughs> <laughs> the one and only OVA, but uh, yeah, it was uh, I, 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 that that manga should be kick ass, especially uh, now he's drawing it in these modern times. So I'm, I'm hoping he still has the uh, the fire to keep keep it going. Keep the fire. Well, thank you, Mister Mechton GM, for your submission. The next one here comes from Hunter Slasher thirteen, and Chris. I'm just wondering, is Gundam Hipster there? Because he's not gonna like this one. Oh, oh. Gundam Cafe to branch out in other cities of Japan. Bandai announces plans to expand its Gundam Cafe chain into Osaka, Nagoya, Hiroshima, and similar metropolitan areas. The company will open a third Tokyo Cafe, so they're opening more. So I know Gundam Hipster was not happy in the previous episode because they're now at three stores because he was done with it when... Well, before the first one was even completed being built. So, because, uh, but I was just wondering if he was there and if he had any thoughts. I liked it better before they sold out and went mainstream. <laughs> it's 
it's good to hear you. Um, it's a Thursday night, um, Gundam Hipster. I'm sure you have a, uh, a nice frosty PBR in your hand. I got a whole case to drink, ironically, <laughs> while wearing my John Deere hat. Yo, a little cold out there, so I'm sure you have some ironic-looking scarf around your neck with a short sleeve shirt, right? That, that it's, probably... it's, more, it's more of an ascot, really. Oh! <laughs> a trendy ascot. It only cost me $150 on American Outfitters. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, what is... Um... I mean, what's your next thing? I mean, you know, the Gundam cafes are just so passe right now. So, I mean, what are you into now, Gundam hipster? Look, we guys, got- it's it's all about it's all about the Dugram cafes. Oh no, the Dugram <laughs> cafes. What's the what's the main focal point of the Dugram cafe? Misery. <laughs> so- you can relate because you're a miserable bastard, right? Who always tries to one-up everybody and think you're better than everyone, right? Is that how that works? Podcasts are so yesterday, man. <laughs> it's, all about to- it's all about toilet vlogging now. Toilet, toilet, vlo- toilet vlogging? Toilet vlogging. Is that, is that when you write a message on a toilet? That's the thing. I mean, explain this to doing, me. I've never I'm heard doing, of toilet. I'm doing a video blog on my toilet. Wow, how toilets are so mainstream. You are so God, you are so cutting edge. Damn, hips. And I'm Imagine. listening to some music from some indie bands. It's okay if you haven't heard of them. <laughs> it's okay. Even if we do, you don't like them. Yeah. If you like it, I can't like it because then it's mainstream. And it was better when only I liked it. You would I just have one question, Gundam Hipster. How do you know this stuff before us, the poor people out there, know it? Are I you can't that- tell you. Because oh. then you would know. And then it would... Oh, man. Gundam Hipster. He's, okay. got Doc, he's got Doc Brown's DeLorean, man. He must. That, that car is ironic on all levels. Yes. <laughs> well, more Gundam Cafes, Gundam Hipster. Give the, give the mic back to, back to Chris. We need to hear from him. Yo. Okay. Gun hipster. I, I, I tossed uh, a can of PBR like a dog bone, and he ran off and obediently fetched it. <laughs> what he doesn't know is it's filled with arsenic. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Just lock the door behind him. Good, goodbye, Gun of Hipster. It was nice knowing you. Nice. Yeah, thank God, right? Um, well, thank you, Hunter Slasher 13, um, for your submission. Next one... Um, yeah, guys, uh, check your previous posters. Um, I'm not going to name names, uh, Burtman24 and Rodimus, whatever, um, before you uh, post stuff. Uh, <laughs> Next one here comes from Rodimus76, and it looks like uh, there's talk of Guy King possibly getting live-action U.S. added adaptation so don't do too many hopes and dreams because of course they preference this whole thing by saying you've probably already seen the trailer to Guillermo del Toro's Pacific Rim or Pacific Trim and I'm sure you many 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 Mecca fans were blown away by how awesome it looked but I guess there's talks about possibly doing this so um, you know don't get too crazy but thank you Mr. Rodimus 76 with your submission next one here hmm this is from oh it's their first post in mecha talk 
wow, we should we should have like a special thing for people for their first post of Mecha Talk, especially if they do in the news segment. And this is from Day Man. Shout outs to him for that uh it's always sunny uh avatar. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 Charlie Day from It's Almost Sunny, and Charlie Day is in Pacific Rim, by the way, but he's also in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So it's good to see his face on the boards. He's got a he's got a post here from the Badass Digest, and I was just wondering, is everything in this Digest badass? Um, and I guess an, a scientist mm-hmm. explains why the en- Enterprise can't go underwater. I guess really to make a long story short, people are getting butt hurt because. <laughs> In this uh, trailer for that Star Trek movie, it looks like the Enterprise was underwater and it's rising out. And um, let's see here. I guess this comes from the first nine minutes of the movie that all the people that went to go see The Hobbit mm-hmm. must have been nice. You went to go see the Star Trek trailer and then fall asleep for four hours watching The Hobbit. <laughs> I guess they talked to a. Uh, a scientist and he's got a PhD in electrical engineering and research engineering in the space industry. And he was kind of bloat sitting here talking about, you know, scientific stuff about like why this can't happen and all this. But, um, come to, I guess to make a long story short, people are just getting a little butt hurt about this. So Solbro, your thoughts about, um, the enterprise being now, um, the Nautilus for captain Nemo. <laughs> It's Star Trek. <laughs> There's a lot that's scientifically wrong with Star Trek. <laughs> I Enterprise has never really gone, gone on the water. Not really. It, I don't. I don't think it's ever been ever had to. I mean, it, it's 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 come close. For <laughs> Starship, like even going to Earth or like any planet's atmosphere, is when it had uh, Captain Hepburn. So, because the Voyage did that. So, but I guess a lot of people are just getting all crazy about this. Actually, in the original series, there was an episode where the Enterprise was in the atmosphere. Oh. Yeah, that's right. And they went back in time to the... Uh, underwater. The only thing we've ever seen underwater was when, in the fourth movie, when that bird of prey yes. crashed into the water and it sunk. <laughs> and they talk about this in here because they're saying if, if, uh, if um, you know, it had wings and stuff, then it would make sense because it's made for atmospheric flight. So I guess people are just like looking too much into this freaking trailer about something. So I don't know. Chris, your thoughts? Yeah, about- who, who cares? It's Star Trek. If you're still thinking about after 40 freaking years, no, 46 freaking years of this franchise being around, if you're still thinking of, oh, that's that's not scientific, that's not possible, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> I, mean, it's, I mean, it hasn't even been proven that there's aliens yet. So, I mean, scientifically, that's also false. <laughs> I mean, how how many uh, how how many freaking Star Trek shows have invented like whatever like flim flam particles or whatever thingamajig pulses to use to invert the bloody blah stuff? Hey man, yeah. I mean, maybe, just, go ahead. No, I'm just saying. I'm I'm relaying the story to you. you. You guys break it down. You're the Star Trek guys. I'm sure there's some pseudoscience that will, will that will explain why they're able to do that, or someone will just come out the ass and and say how they're able to do that, much like they're able to explain how they can travel at warp speed without everybody in the ship turning to salsa and and all that other stuff. So you know, uh, it, it's it's what it is. Well, what I want to know if if we're gonna ask science, we should ask Mister Science. Oh, and and that is Neil deGrasse Tyson. Hell yes. <laughs> What's he have to say? What's his he's because he is Mr. Science. Oh man, he'll he'll he'll, he'll maybe sh- uh maybe Michio Kaku too. There you go. Those two dudes, man, they'll rip this movie apart. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Well, thank you, Mr. Dayman, for your first submission. And um, next one here comes for Burtman 4. And this is, I'm not going to get too much into it. I read the article briefly here. It's kind of cool. It's um, from TheVerge.com, and it talks about Mazinger Z oh. and its legacy within America. So I would definitely um, encourage people to read that. I'm not, I'm not even really going to go through it because it just kind of lays it out of all the things that it, it's um, influenced uh, since it was as a manga and then later on as an anime. So definitely a really cool article. So, um, you know, thank you. Mr. Um, Burtman for your sum. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, Burtman for for your submission. Um, the next one here comes from Merkton GM, and uh, he's just got a little bit more action from IO9 regarding the Gotcha Man live action movie. So that'll be some cool stuff too. So check definitely check that. It looks like that's going all the way. And and the last one here. It's from our good friend from the P- penal colony, Australia. Oh, my. Mula Flaga. <laughs> and uh, I guess, uh, you know, the ever-reaching paws of the mouse. I guess mouse have paws, right? Mm-hmm. They have. And uh, the, the Star Wars comics are now going to go back to Marvel. Which I guess was, uh, was, 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 was inevitable. Uh, yeah, and, they were, they and were, no one is surprised. <laughs> they were with Dark Horse for a while. I, I guess it says here from the bleedingcool.com. So when Disney bought Star Wars, the comic community wondered how long it would take for Star Wars comic license to disappear from Dark Horse. Not held long. Two, two decades to com- the Disney's comic publisher Marvel. Uh, it turns out a year and a bit. So, yes. And it's funny because the... The picture of the Star Wars comic that they're showing from Marvel, mm-hmm. actually had that comic. What? Uh, yeah, when I was growing up, a guy that was a little bit older than me gave me some of his comics, and that was in his collection. Oh. It's not in that good of co- uh, condition, mm-hmm. but you have that one right there where it's um, where um, <laughs> Darth Vader's helmet's green. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. There's a lot of artistic license taken in that one, so um, yeah, there you go. So, but thank you, Mr. Mulafaga, for your submission, and uh, thank you for everyone that submitted anything on the Neos Listener Submitted News Articles thread. And um, I guess I need to ask this before we go into our first topic after last episode. Solbro is uh, Hopers and Dreamers. Is is that still alive? We will see. Um, if anything, uh, I know we're, we're running short on time this episode, but um, if anything, I, I still want to do some, and uh, we'll see what happens in the coming year. So, Hopers and Dreamers 2013. Not a dead thing, but uh, having to do a little uh, backtracking. and uh, <laughs> To be continued on that. Um, <laughs> I do have... I do have little ahead, construction after Chris's deconstruction. <laughs> So, uh, all right. Well, well I, I do have one thing to say. Uh, I just want to thank. Uh, I just became a, a, a submitter to uh, a website called thebrokeninfinite.blogspot.com. It's kind of like a, a, a hub for a lot of uh, just fandom and, uh, you know, just a place to find out news on comic books and, and animation and movies and sci-fi and all that stuff. And um, I just became a submitter for them. And uh, everything that's Shinjuku Station um, related, including this podcast, uh, I, I'll definitely be sharing uh on that website, so I wanted to thank them for uh, allowing me that venue to uh, spread the word about the podcast, and 
Um, follow them on uh, Twitter at the Broken I N F I N I, and um, that's it. And are we getting checks on this? Or? Possibly, man. Possibly one of these days. One of these days. Chris, anything, any hopes and dreams that need to be crushed before we talk about Transformers Prime Season 2? No comento. <laughs> Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. All right. Well, um, we're going to be Cliff Jumper. <laughs> a cliffhanger with Cliff Jumper. There we go. But uh, we'll be back in a little bit with our first segment Transformers Prime. You're listening to Gundam and MHQ. know when you got something brewing. I know it. What I got brewing? You what I got brewing, right? You tell me. You done lost your dumb damn mind. And just how outrageous are the hosts of the Anime Addicts Anonymous podcast? Bulma, brief, from Dragon Ball Z, is such a uh, tease. Anime. You're going to go over to Master Roshi's house every day, wearing your little short shorts, your little sexy tops. Addicts. We should not gonna let him tap that ass, even though he wants to tap it, and he gets nosebleeds all the time. Anonymous. He's 500 years old. The man can't die till he gets laid. Let the man rest in peace. All I gotta say is, Master Roshi's sperm count is over 9,000. Podcast. Don't miss a moment. Tune in at aaapodcast.com and iTunes. Greetings. I am Andrew Cook the host of Pretentious Internet Theater. Each month, I bring you the finest in literature that internet fan fiction has to offer. Join us, won't you? At tinyurl.com slash pitpodcast. Remember, there is much drama on the internet, but only the best makes Pretentious Internet Theater. Open. God damn it! Open! Prime, you said the Matrix would light our darkest hour. Magnus! I want the Matrix! Never! Welcome back to the show that's more than meets the eye. That's right, it's Gundam at MAHQ. 
that was corny i know but uh welcome back to the to the episode and um in this segment we're going to be reviewing or returning back to a uh, show that we reviewed way back in episode 102 well, i wouldn't say way back it was actually earlier this year that we reviewed uh transformers prime and uh it was the first season and it left us on quite the cliffhanger where optimus prime faces off uh what well, optimus prime helps save the world from unicron with the help of megatron and then um in the ensuing uh, struggle, he uh, loses his memory, and um, he gets brought into the, uh, the Decepticon fold as, uh, as Megatron takes advantage of the, super, the situation, and uh, Optimus's memory regresses back to who he was before he became Optimus Prime, which is Orion Pax, the young uh, uh, historian and um, librarian of the, uh, the Autobot database uh, from way back in the old Cybertron days. A.K.A. Hippie Loser. Hippie Loser. <laughs> the old nice Optimus Prime before he became the hardened battle um, dope leader that he is today. But um, Megatron brings him into the Decepticon fold and uses his, uh, his expertise in order to decode the Iacon database, which is this huge database from Cybertron. And it points the direction of all these artifacts that have been sent from Cybertron to different worlds uh, are more so on Earth. And there's a bunch of artifacts from Cybertron that are all that are scattered all over the planet Earth that are that uh, can be found by de decrypting the database. So he uses Orion packs to do just that. The Autobots scramble in order to figure out a way to uh, to rescue their leader from the Decepticons and um, help him get his memories back. And eventually, that three-part episode, uh, which is aptly named Orion packs plays out with. Uh, uh, Orion Pax seeing through the lies that the, um, that the Decepticons and Megatron are feeding him and uh, figuring out who he Thanks is. Thanks to Starscream screwing things up as always. <laughs> <laughs> Old Starscream. He, uh, he goes and uh, he, he lets the cat out of the bag and then Optimus Prime, it, it doesn't take him long to figure out the rest. Um, one of the interesting things about that episode is just seeing Optimus Prime get a Decepticon uh, insignia emblazoned onto him over his old Autobotics insignia. So it was just it was that was that was a, it, that's the opening shot I believe of the first episode of that season and it's uh it, it's pretty stunning, but um this whole season plays out um one of the major plots in season two of uh Transformers Prime is the artifacts from the Iacon database or the uh, the Iacon artifacts that are scattered around the planet and the mad scramble from the Autobots and the Decepticons to find these artifacts. This season goes in some dark places too, and far darker than uh, season one was, which is which is pretty amazing. Um, and and before we get further into the details of the show, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, toss the mic over to Chris to give uh, some of his impressions, uh, his early impressions about uh, season two of Transformers Prime. Um, your thoughts, sir? It has no heart and soul. <laughs> this is just twash to sell toys to little kids it's not made for the wheel fans hey man it's it's not it's not uh privy it's not uh exactly to the, the autobot <laughs> not the uh the transformers bible of 1984 man i have the whitest bible right here <laughs> and it explains everything it's not the spec no for it's for shame. It's twash <laughs> it's just the worst twash ever made why'd you watch it then oh <clears throat> it, it sucks so much why'd you watch the whole thing so I can comment on how much it sucks. Oh, you're 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 playing the old educated hate card, huh? Is that go. what you're playing? He learned from the general. <laughs> I I need to destroy this this children's show as a youthless man child. <laughs> will you take your hate back to YouTube where it belongs? Who has never accomplished anything in life and never will. <laughs> Damn. 
Oh, Chris has got a full. He's got a full house there between Gundam Hipster and this guy. He's got a cast of characters up in his up in up in his in his in his domain, man. <laughs> well, so season two, as good as the first season was, this season's definitely a big improvement. Absolutely, I like that almost the entire season, with very little exception, is one huge arc. Yeah, which is surprising for a kid show that they would have such arc-heavy storytelling. Yeah. And it's definitely nice to see some new characters. It's nice to see um, the Decepticons get their ranks thinned out a little bit. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Some great voice actors showing up in this season, like Tony Todd, Nolan North. Who else? Uh, 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 Clancy Brown returns, of course. Yes, Clancy Brown returning always with that uh, instantly identifiable voice of his. David Kay, uh, who is a, tra- yes. a regular from previous Transformers series and who's voiced Optimus Prime and, and Megatron in previous series, comes back in this uh, series as a, as a cameo as Hardshell, the Insecticon. Yeah. So, to me, one of the uh, things that I enjoyed the most about Season 2 was that they cut down on the use of the kids. Yeah. Not that the kids are so annoying to begin with, because as we probably said in the last segment, they're among the least annoying of Transformers kids. Even Miko. Yeah. <laughs> even even though it got a little tiresome in the first season of Miko being Miko and always running off and sneaking over like some freaking like the freaking uh kid in the monkey and speed racer oh yeah, yeah. Like, oh, they, and- they, they, hit in, they hit in the back seat uh-oh <laughs> what are you gonna so, do speed i i like that in season two they at least call that out and jack when going on one of these stupid jaunts acknowledges that he just pulled a miko <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was that was pretty damn funny actually <laughs> when i saw that i was like Oh wow! But the, but there are extended stretches of maybe sometimes three or four episodes in a row where you don't see the kids, and it's not that I mind their presence, but I'm glad that they're not being forced to be there just to have them there. Absolutely. If they have a role to play in the story, they're there. If they're not, they're not. Then there. they're not. That's school yes. where they belong. Exactly. <laughs> Which I I I wish uh, Sir Bay would carry that over to the live action movies well. and uh, not concentrate so much on annoying humans. He will. He's done it before. He will. I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> the debate rages on. <laughs> Probably one of my favorite characters in this season, without a doubt, is Megatron. Oh, yeah. Because aside from just being so badass, he's <laughs> smart, unlike his previous incarnations. And, uh, you know, he's just he, he's not just an idiot hothead like the G1 Megatron. Mm-hmm. Wait, that's the heart and soul Megatron. He's not an idiot. <laughs> How dare you? Because as we all know, G1 Megatron had, you know, what what retarded plan do we have this time to steal all the Energon for whatever reason? He's dirt dastardly, is what he is. Yeah. Hey, what are these days? We'll do this. And no, these damn kids. I would have made it. I would have I I done it if it wasn't for these damn Autobots. He's like a so This Megatron, he's, um, he just takes everything in stride. He's, like, he's what I like to call Zen evil. Yes, yeah, yes, indeed. Yes. Is in that one episode where everyone's trying to kill him, which I like to call Megatron's bad day. Crossfire. <laughs> He's just so chill about it. He's like, oh, busy day for assassins. 
So it's so cool to have a villain who's not, uh, Roar, you idiots, blah, 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 what are you doing? <laughs> Which he does do a little bit, but not to a disgusting degree. Yeah, he's not grandstanding, and he makes good on his threats, man. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> the fact that he, he kills uh, Dreadwing in cold blood. Wow. Yes, and um, and then he says to Starscream, he says to Starscream, "You better make me. You better make sure I don't regret that." <laughs> yeah, amazing. He, he finally brings uh, Starscream back into the fold under the logic of better to have you where I can keep an eye on you than have you somewhere else and plotting against me, which I guess is true since Starscream can't help but always be plotting absolutely as evidenced by uh the hilarious clip show that i think is one of the best clip shows ever and you should pay attention for kuda oh damn (laughs) because seriously people if you want to do a clip show and make it entertaining this clip show in season two (laughs) is the way you do it 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 was the episode called patch um which is one of two clip show episodes this season there was uh, another one um called grill which uh dealt with uh Agent Fowler as well, but they were both very well done and patched the standout being between the two. And both at least, even though they're clip shows, they did have new scenes and they introduced to you new information that you didn't know about when watching those original episodes. Yes. Which is ideally the way a clip show should work, Fukuda. (laughs) Take notes. Yeah, take notes when you do that long-awaited seed movie and, and have tons of clips in there. Hey, Chris, <laughs> do you realize that somewhere Chapman is crying? Oh, damn. <laughs> I don't care about Chapman's tears. <laughs> Just saying. So that's, that's my thoughts for now. I'll turn it over to somebody else. All right, Neo. Uh, what are your what are your thoughts uh, just overall about the the, the of season two for uh, Transformers Prime? <clears throat> well, a lot of the points that Chris brought up, I'd have to second, but uh, I'd have to say, as as great as Megatron is, I still gotta say the best character in this whole season is the Rise and Fall of Starscream. <laughs> and the Starscream is just such a trip in this. Because early on in the season, we get introduced to, and, and this is something that's very interesting about this show, is for a kid's show, it goes into some great detail uh, <laughs> about what they basically talk about the biology of the Transformers. And they oh, yeah. talk about this thing called the TCOG, which is basically, um, it's a, it's a mecha- it looks like a mechanical piece that's part of them, but it's actually, you know, their biology, like we would with you know, a human would have an organ of theirs. Oh, yeah. And this is what makes, enables them to transform, to take different shapes, and to have all their weaponry and stuff. Well, you know, that uh, we saw them early on in season one, this um, uh, kind of like paramilitary group of humans called Mech, who are about trying to get all this, um, you know, this technology from the Transformers. They, t- they steal the TCOG from a bumblebee. <laughs> And there's a whole there's a whole episode about this back and forth, and they finally steal it from Starscream. Because <laughs> Starscream through the whole time is talking smack to Bumblebee about not being able to transform, and of course it catches up with him because he's Starscream. And then what makes it hilarious is for most of the second season he can't transform, and there's one episode where <laughs> Starscream gets to an old Cybertronian ship. And there's some like protoforms, uh, some clones, and he clones 
basically himself. And he's like, hey, I got an army. So I'm going to go attack the Decepticons. You know, this is while they're trying to get all these Iacon artifacts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And there comes a part where they're attacking and they, he initiates a ground bridge because, you know, the little the, the laboratory that he's got, has got a ground bridge and everything in there. And uh, Starscream shows up and all his clones are flying. You know, they're jet planes. They're flying, doing what they're doing. And because he can't transform, he's basically on like the Venture Brothers hover bike. Guess <laughs> <laughs> <It's> hell. <laughs> because about that, that little bike is the way it's shown like him just little just puttering along. He looks like a young girl riding her scooter on her way to school. That's because it's 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 vastly underpowered, and he's just and all of this mayhem and all of this um, you know fighting is going on around him. He's ducking and dodging, and it's just it's just too damn funny because um, yeah, I mean, and, and what makes him even better is all of his little facial features that he has throughout the whole. Uh, <laughs> the whole thing and like what what chris had stated when he finally convinces megatron to keep him around (laughs) and even after megatron kills dreadwing and you know starscream still wants to screw him over and uh it's oh my god it it's just one of those um it's one of those things that you just go throughout the whole show and you're just like, wow, this is just crazy. But some other things, too. Um, I really liked that the Iacon artifacts weren't just all Autobot artifacts. Mm-hmm. Some stuff that were made by the Decepticons. And some of them were some really crazy things, like these, um, you know, a point where, uh, spoiler alert, uh, Prime and basically Megatron get like uh, fantasy, uh, Final Fantasy swords. <laughs> They start like going after each other, and one of the swords, because it was held by a prime, and Megatron wants it. He actually gets his arm cut off with the cannon on it, and puts the arm of a dead freaking prime on there so he can hold the sword. I was like, "Wow, this is just." And I'm, I'm sitting here the whole time, I'm like, "Damn, this is a this is a kid show." Uh, well, it's <laughs> it's the hammer. It's the the forge of Solus Prime, which he mm-hmm. uses to make the Dark Star Saber. You know, yeah. I just. I, which is funny because I just read today that Solus Prime is the one of the few female primes. I didn't realize that Megatron's hand that he stole in order to uh, who who he cradled not not cradled but uh, he he grave robbed that hand <laughs> to have it put onto his own um, is the Forge of Solus Prime, who's who's a, a female transformer. It was pretty cool to find that out. And of course, uh, the Star Saber that Prime uses probably uh, presumably a reference to Star Saber the main character of victory yeah that's right man i I, I just wow (laughs) yeah nice that it ties in i i mean it's it's just amazing because you're you're watching all this and you're just like wow you know this makes sense and you know of course one of the artifacts ends up being like the hulkbuster armor that starscream actually it's this armor that encases him that you know, while he still can't transform, he, he grabs this and he's kind of messing up stuff. And, um, yeah, it, it, it's just, you know, it, it was amazing because you're sitting there and you're like, wow, the whole thing within this whole uh, this whole season was getting these artifacts. Even though, you know, inter, you know intermittently you get all these other, you know, little storylines and stuff. But in the end, 
they're all about getting these icon artifacts. Once again, the kids are at a minimum. But you know what? The thing about it is it's, it's, it's not even forced that the kids are at a minimum. It wasn't even a situation where, oh, we just need less of the kids. It's just the fact of within that story, a lot of the stuff you're like, why would the kids even be in this? Like, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, of course, I mean, we have the ending, which is a pretty good cliffhanger. I, I don't know if we want to go into that yet. I, I don't know. Uh, I'll let Solbro some some of his things here. But um, before I turn it over to him, the only one negative I have a show is I thought there would be more Autobots joining them. Oh, Because yeah. at the end, you have one new recruit uh, smokescreen. And then Wheeljack shows up, and he's kind of like, "Oh, whenever we need him, oh, here's Wheeljack. You know, oh, you know, the the world, it, you know, we we can't, we're, we're about to lose. Oh, at the nick of time, here comes Wheeljack. So it, <laughs> you know, there there's such um there's such disparity uh, between the Autobots and the Decepticons because you know the Decepticons in this, yes, they lose some name characters." But then they gain the Decepti- they gain ins- the Insecticons, who are basically almost like the other little protoforms, you know, the little um, the little um, driving cons and the other flight, the you know, the, the other cons. Mm-hmm. So it's just like they have all these other nameless guys, and then in the end, it's just Ratchet, Bumblebee, Bulkhead, Optimus. Smokestack, who replaces Ironhide, <laughs> Wheeljack every so often. It's like I don't know, you know. This this is it's 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 a little weird. So it's like that's my only gripe about it. I wish there would have been more because, especially as we see early on in this season, you know, Optimus sends out a signal to other Autobots. If you hear this, come to Earth. Blah blah blah. Whatever. So that's kind of my only gripe with it when it comes to that but other than that it's it's pretty damn enjoyable so back to you Sobro. well thank you sir thank you um i just i have a short list of some of the themes and events that happened in this in this season that that really it, it's amazing that it's in a kid's show that these things happen um uh, you have you have themes like revenge uh events like animated corp reanimated corpses and i'm not talking just robots but humans too with uh <laughs> with the return of Silas that was awfully disturbing um you've got a theme of desperation when it comes to uh uh what's it, when it comes to uh, Starscream the, probably the most desperate character to be, appear in this series <laughs> and the most desperate version of Starscream ever seen um you have less child endangerment that was brought up earlier but um you have a boatload more killing i was shocked to see the death of uh what's his name uh oh, breakdown when he just got outright killed like that by uh what's her name um arachnid she just you know just it's like it was just pretty shocking to see him just get killed see him get killed so early in the game you didn't see that though but the thing the thing that's shocking to me is towards the end mm-hmm. and megatron takes dreadwing's gun and shoots him through the chest yes Slip the camera through his chest when it's like they're having the whole thing, but it's you know it's basically a Mexican standoff between Megatron, Dreadwing, and Starscream, and Starscream, of course, is making his case, and he sh- and it's just like um, I think Chris had stated earlier when Megatron's like you know make sure I didn't make the wrong decision. You know, Megatron shoots him right through the chest, and the hole is like 
<laughs> and you see it and everything. That to me was more because with breakdown, all you saw was his corpse. <laughs> saw you didn't actually see him get cut up, but yeah, yeah. But he got he got he got dealt a raw hand, especially when he almost came close to dying uh, in an earlier episode uh, where he got bailed out by uh by uh oh man now I'm blanking on his name uh uh Bulkhead when Bulkhead and him uh, ended up uh, teaming up for a brief moment when uh when Mech was after him uh and and only to just go out so quickly like that uh yeah the the wild goose chase of chasing down artifacts which is an old which is an old I guess type of story but they kind of made it fresh this season with uh them going after the uh, icon artifacts um yet physical rehab because uh one of the most notable episodes was when um when uh, uh when bulkhead he uh went after um one of the uh artifacts which was toxin and he had to fight a, a hard shell in order to acquire the toxin and the toxin was poisoning him at the same time that he was fighting a hard shell and it was a massive handicap to him in order to be able to take this back to the autobot base or, or to destroy the toxin which is what he was trying to do before uh, Hardshell could acquire it, and for him to have to just to, to juggle all these factors and 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 get uh over the, over the radio uh, support from uh from uh, Agent Fowler, you know, it, it was a pretty it was a pretty intense episode to see that, and um uh yeah, it, his, his, his it took quite a toll on him. He almost came close to death, and then he had to uh, rehabilitate himself after the fact, and that made for a couple interesting episodes. Um, you had doppelgangers and stolen organs, as Neo talked about with the with the. Uh, the transfer, the T cogs being taken from uh, Bumblebee, and then later on Starscream, um, amnesia, uh, limb augmentation, betrayal, redemption, unholy alliances, a Ghost in the Machine episode, uh, hostages, which plays a big role in the in the last two episodes, and then uh, a revival of a dead world. This series went places, and I was really taken aback at uh, how dark it got, and then um, you know just a lot of the outcomes this season and. Uh, and, and some of the events, it really kept it kept your view kept the viewers on their toes, and um, I, I was I was quite floored. Up uh, when it comes to favorite characters, I guess mine is probably a toss up between Wheeljack and uh, Bulkhead, because Bulkhead probably had one of the most enduring episodes this season, and that was the the episode I mentioned earlier, uh, Toxicity, and um, when he just pretty much came so close to death, and the fact that his death or his near death was alluded to in earlier episodes because there was a there's a block of four episodes in this season which the events of these four episodes kind of play out of order but they all intertwine somehow and all four episodes start with uh the letter t uh the episodes are tunnel vision out of order they all pretty much happen at the same time they all happen at the same time but there's certain events that intertwine with other episodes that play in in time with what's going on, but you get revealed the things out of order. So when you see the next episode, which is happening simultaneously, all the pieces start to come together in all four of these episodes. They're tunnel vision, triangulation, triage, and toxicity. And it was it was a nice direction. You could almost like re-edit those episodes into one two-hour movie if you wanted to. I guess it wouldn't be two hours, but you can re-edit those episodes into one big movie, and it would be pretty neat to see how that would play out. But um, that that was a very uh, nice set of episodes right there. And Chris and I had talked about this some time ago where they ended up on a cliffhanger between uh, triage and toxicity. So when you saw at the end of triage that uh, Bulkhead got really messed up from whatever he was encountering when he was on his fetch quest, um, 
to find out the answer to that, we had to wait a couple weeks before we could actually uh, see the episode where he goes and fights Hardshell at the top of that volcano. And um, yeah, this this season kept me on my toes, uh, and a lot of viewers as well. Um, I really enjoyed it, and uh, we'll move on to talking about t- some of the episodes. Uh, I'll go. I'll turn it back over to Chris. Are there any uh, favorite episodes that you have in the lineup for season two? It's hard to say because season two, just overall, you know, it just started at a really fast pace and never stopped. Mm-hmm. I definitely enjoyed that arc of the hunt for the relics playing out simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed the hunt for the keys and how that played out with Starscream swiping everything <laughs> thanks to the red energon that he was using. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, definitely Megatron's bad day. Yeah. <laughs> and um, all of the episodes that explored this interaction between Prime and Dreadwing. Yeah. Because I, I liked how they had this interaction of two warriors with a code of honor. Absolutely. And you kind of wonder for a little bit that maybe it does it mean that maybe Dreadwing will just be so pissed off with the Decepticons that he might switch sides. But by the end of the season, we find out, no, that is not to be, which <laughs> is uh, a shame for Tony Todd. You know, it's funny because Megatron killed him and didn't even know that he actually... Um that Dreadwing actually helped out the Autobots just moments before that. <laughs> um, you know, he, he pretty much, uh, I, I, the the Decepticon cause for, uh, at least a little bit. So, um, I yeah. guess Megatron was right to kill him, but, uh, he never knew why. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I liked it at the beginning and end of the season. We get to see Cybertron up close and just see the extent of the desolation. And, you know, it's, it's a pretty, uh, grim, dark world. Yeah, like you really yeah. get the feeling of a dead world of just these massive destroyed spires, all these dead towers, all these this dead surface of a planet that no life exists on. Yeah, I gotta say, of all the Transformers uh, shows and stuff that I've seen, I haven't seen all of them, but all the depictions of Cybertron, especially when it's you know in its dead world state, you know they're always a lot more rosier than what we saw here. It's just everything is just burnt out and just leveled in this it, it, and it it just looks like an awful place to be and you you can see you can see where it makes sense that the Decepticons and the Autobots have this desperation of trying to revive their world because it's just there's just nothing there so yeah if i did have to pick out a favorite set of episodes it's probably the arc of the season finale because the stakes just get raised so high and there's so much going on the potential revival of cybertron which optimus uh foils and destroys that possibility and gets a lot of blowback on it from wheeljack oh yeah (laughs) which was very well done by jeffrey combs oh uh, his reaction not not wheeljack but ratchet ratchet i mean (laughs) that thinking uh must have been watching that pacific trim trailer too many times nice <laughs> exactly <laughs> but yeah ratchet the way he chews that optimus and it's like why would you do that we needed to, we needed those things and he wasn't there to see how everything played out but yeah. um yeah it just yeah he was really butthurt over that <laughs> yeah the kids being held hostage and megatron threatening to uh, expose them to the atmosphere and and kill them mm-hmm. yeah um you know the apparent victory of the autobots followed by the very sudden turnaround where Megatron shows up outside their base and blows it up, <laughs> along with Optimus. Damn. Yeah, 
You just see that lone hand, <laughs> and you see that hand sticking out. So probably one of the biggest cliffhangers, even more so than the first season. I would say along the lines of that uh, first season cliffhanger of the Beast Wars when Optimus Primal blew up. You're like, oh, crap. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's pretty severe. That's for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, because, you know, how Chris said, I mean... There's so much, I mean, the final, those final sets of episodes, that last episode, there is so much going on Mm -hmm. and it's just not, it's just kind of like never ending. And then you're like, oh, the Autobots, they did it. Oh, what? (laughs) Oh, no. And it's just like, oh, here are the Decepticons and and Megatron, the Decepticons do what they wanted to do. The whole friggin' season. Just lay waste to the Autobots. Yeah. That's basically what they do. The fact that they finally find out where the Autobots are, are, are hiding and then just lay that place to waste. On top of that, everybody gets scattered. They send everybody, you know, to different parts of the world in order to uh, escape the, the onslaught that's coming. And, you know, of course, Optimus Prime stays behind in order to, uh, to keep their attention. But, yeah, I mean, it makes you wonder how's, how's next season going to pick up? Because of all the all the things that went went on, I mean, we get a little cameo from Wheeljack, and he shows up in his uh, in his in his super uh, spaceship, and you know he gets shot out the sky. <laughs> so we don't know what his fate is either. You know, it just leaves you with a bunch of questions. And I should have known it was going to be like that. But uh, it, now, uh, what I do find funny in that episode mm-hmm. is something that Agent Fowler says. What's up? And he's part of he's going to be part of the uh, Liberation Army. Oh, the nice. Human Liberation Army, when the robots <laughs> take over. He said, I'm not going to get shot out of the sky by some toasters. Nice. And I was like, <laughs> yes. He sounded like the Admiral. I just was like, slap a, <laughs> slap a colonial flight suit on him, and he's ready to go. He was making the helicopter move like, it was in a, like he was in a Viper, though. That was amazing. My God, how he did not get shot out of the sky, I don't know. <laughs> he handled his business, man. Really but nice. yeah, I'd have to say though, uh, if if I'm gonna look at some favorite episodes, the final, those final, uh, those final batch, I do like the one with Silas when he becomes well, you don't know part of or the pilot of the husk of a breakdown. It was it's a it's a very odd episode because he's always shown from the shoulders up, mm-hmm. and it kind of seems like. Maybe he's the pilot and he's kind of integrated some way, but then you look at it another way. I think it's pretty clear that he's integrated into it because yeah. we saw him, you know, get smashed previously. So his body had to be completely broken and those mech people just harvested what was left of him and stuck him inside Breakdown's body. Yeah. That's- he's just so hardcore because, you know, the beginning of the episode – they turn him on, and he's like, oh, thank you for saving me. And then he's like, he just freaking does the old, you know, uh, megalomaniac thing. He just kills the guys that help him, and you know, to, to got him to that point. And then, you know, of course, he's he's got this whole thing about this this super, you know, basically the soul system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's, you know, we, we got this. And then in the end, he fails Megatron. They're like, oh, yeah, well, that's all. You. Megatron's like, yeah, that's all you pretty much had so yeah um yeah take him away from medical experiments and you never hear about him again he's done i thought that was crazy is like they take him away from medical experiments and and they don't even say anything about him the rest of the season you're just 
damn, what happened to this dude? And that's that that you know that's kind of the seriousness in this this uh, the second episode here. That I gotta say too, um, when you when and it's funny because it actually involves one of the kids. It's when. Um, Miko and Wheeljack do the team up. Hurt, yeah, episode sixteen. That 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 was a pretty good episode. So um, it's like you know you have you have so many episodes where the kids are playing such minor roles. And let's be honest, uh, of any of the kids in season one, Miko was always the annoying one because you know she always she always would get in the ground bridge when everybody else is doing. It. It's like oh, Miko snuck away. But in this one, <laughs> you know, and you can see her. Her fierce loyalty to Bulkhead, and and actually a lot of her, um, uh, you know, a lot of her hurt because she feels that she, you know, he got hurt because of her and stuff like that. So, very, very, very interesting stuff. So, all right. I think we should also give some mention to yet another moment of Megatron being a badass and not tolerating any failure mm-hmm. when Knockout gets stuck in the wall. Yeah. <laughs> Megatron's basically like, no, you'll you're gonna stay there as a reminder of the price of failing me. <laughs> I just think too, another great one about him is during the Starscream uh, recap episode, mm-hmm. when basically Knockout puts Starscream and Megatron in this machine where he can view their thoughts. Oh yeah, there comes a point where you know it's season one where you know Starscream basically almost tried to kill Megatron. He, you know, claims leadership of the Decepticons, and he's got Knockout there. <laughs> and you see, and they're inside of Starscream's head because it's Megatron and Starscream, and they're kind of replaying all this stuff. And then you, all of a sudden, it goes out to the side. You see Knockout. He's like watching. He's like, "Oh man, hope he doesn't notice that." And then because he's looking into the video screen and he's seeing what these guys are, you know, what they're in their memories. And all of a sudden, you just see Megatron go. I remember this knockout. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, another, another time the Megatron was a badass was when uh, it was uh, in Hurt, the episode that uh, you just you just talked about where um, it was Revenge Road with Wheeljack and Miko and um, Hardshell had claimed he killed off Bulkhead. And then later on in that episode, when um, Wheeljack reveals to Megatron that Bulkhead is still alive, um, <laughs> Megatron tells Hardshell, "He's like, you owe me a spark, and if it isn't, <laughs> if it's not going to be Bulkhead, then it's going to be this Wheeljack." And he forces a uh, Hardshell to go out there to, to to kill Wheeljack, and that that fight is amazing. Um, just the just the damage that Hardshell does to to Wheeljack is is ridiculous. I, I I love that scene where he's holding him up and where Hardshell is holding him up by his head and he starts punching him in his torso. And when he punches him, you see the shockwave go out and it looks like Dragon Ball Z. It's ridiculous. But um yeah, that was that was it was just another another uh, example of uh, Megatron just laying down the law, at which he does plenty of time this season. No, Megatron is just. Megatron's extremely pimp in this whole show so far. Absolutely. Like season one, he was cool. Then this one, he's he's even. I mean, like Chris said, uh, the episode of Megatron's bad day when everybody's trying to freaking <laughs> kill this guy off, and at the end, he's just like, "Look, man, I'm a gladiator from like the pits of chaos, and all if all y'all want some, come get some." And <laughs> <laughs> King Kong I mean, ain't shit on him. Yeah, I mean, the dude is just. Oh my god! It, it's 
and and the and the thing I like about this too is you know everybody's you know you get the sense with all of the Autobots and even at points and times with Optimus they don't want to mess with Megatron. Nope. It's like oh shit, Megatron showed up. It's like ooh, you know nobody really wants to deal with that. The only and, one that has uh, the 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 cojones to try is uh is Smokescreen. Um, <laughs> And he's he's even no, uh, even, no he's just got the stupidity to. Well, try. he's a, he's a yeah. dumbass glory hound. Yeah, he he's a, a he's a glory hound. But I mean, early on, even even Optimus is like, there's a couple points where he's like, I gotta kind of like maybe not engage him fully like this because you know he just knows that I mean Megatron is a complete badass in this thing, yeah. and you can get the fact that he's the leader of the of the Decepticons because he just leads. You know, they're all scared of him, basically. And, you know, Starscream's not, but he, it's just because he's just such a sniveling bastard to try to absorb power from everybody that he's just too dumb to realize. <laughs> so, yeah, good stuff, though. Any uh, any other episodes you guys can think of that you enjoyed? Nope. Well, um, I definitely enjoyed Crossfire. This episode we keep uh, referencing about Megatron making a stand against the Insecticons. Uh, that's a great episode. Uh, Nemesis Prime, where uh, Optimus fights against a, uh, a doppelganger made by Mech and Silas. Uh, the episode where Silas uh, pretty much gets a, crushed. A low-rent doppelganger. No doubt. <laughs> and uh, it, that was a cool episode where Agent Fowler got to put in some work uh, fighting hand-to-hand against Silas and uh, some of the, the henchmen of, of Mech, which was uh, it was cool to see uh, old, overweight Agent Fowler um, it get physical, man. It was cool. Uh, our, our, uh, let's see. Uh, skipping through. Um, Hurt, definitely one of my favorites. The, the what are you skipping through the episode, episode list? Uh, <laughs> I mean, not, not, none of this stuff stands out to you. You got to sit there and just review. All I, could, I, could, I, could sp- I could spend hours talking well, about some of this episode, hours. which I don't want to do. Let's not. Uh, exactly. Um, Human Factor, that's the episode where uh, Silas comes back in a reanimated breakdown. One of my all-time favorites. And lastly, uh, Inside Job, where Starscream uh, takes the last of his red energon and steals the keys for the uh, for the revival of Cybertron, as uh, Chris had mentioned earlier. Great episodes. And uh, overall, this uh, this whole season has been of high quality. And um, it, closing this episode out, I'm, I'll turn it over to uh, the high, fellas. High quality? Does does it get a Soul Bro guarantee? It does. It does. I would give it the Soul Bro guarantee. If you, especially yeah, if you enjoyed first season... You're in for a treat for season two, which is now on Netflix. So if you guys uh, have a subscription, you can check out all the season two on there. And um, uh, any last uh, thoughts? Uh, on- I was about to say, I mean, the next time something like this happens, instead of just naming off episodes, you just say, they're all amazing. So, <laughs> I mean, because all you do is just name all like 26 episodes. I wanted to point out some episodes that, that have really, really got my goat, and uh, I, I love those episodes. But all, all in all, the whole show has been a joy to watch from start to finish. And or you season. can point out that the, the colors just make it all better for you, too. Oh, boy. <laughs> colors. <laughs> well, well, we'll bring this segment to an end, and before we do, I wanted to, I wanted to find out what everybody's ratings were for this season of Transformers Prime. Chris, uh, what, were your, what are your final thoughts on this season? Uh, boy, I I think I might have to give it uh, four and a half out of five out of shape Fowlers. Nice, nice. <laughs> Neo, what are your uh, what is your rating and um and final thoughts on season two of Transformers Prime? Well, I'd have to say I'm going to give it four and a half stolen teak hogs out of five. <laughs> 
And uh, I would I would definitely give it the same. Uh, four and a half. Uh, let's see, four and four and a half. Um, uh, uh, Icon artifacts, man. <laughs> oh, out of five. That's what I'll give it. <laughs> you, you killed it, Saul, bro. There you go. You're welcome. But uh, that's it for our review of Transformers Prime. Uh, definitely check it out on Netflix where you can stream the whole entire show. And uh, we'll be back with more Gundam at MAHQ in just a moment. I mean, I'm, I, was, I was shooting. Yeah, I, was, I did a lot of shooting. I mean, but I, I, I ain't saying I shot you in the ass. I mean, I, I ain't saying I didn't shoot you. But gun damn! Somebody shot you in the ass. Tell me about it. I can't believe Game & More forgave Gears of War 3 a 9.4. Ugh, those guys have rocks in their head. It clearly deserves at least a 9.6. Bro, why do you even care? Modern Warfare 3 is a far superior game in every way. You guys are still playing with your consoles? Please fully immerse yourself in true PC gaming. Are you sick of nerd ragers making you feel like your games don't matter? Or do you feel like professional game magazines have sold out and only covered major releases? Sure you are, so join us here at secondopiniongames.com and let us make your video game conversations fun again. Our main podcast focuses on all gaming news, big and small. And don't forget our other podcasts where we talk about video game collecting, fighting games, the best games you never played, and other just mindless and mindful ramblings that entail what our main focus is. Let us be your first stop and second opinion. So stop by secondopiniongames.com. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. In a world where vivid flashbacks can strike without warning... In a world where a submissive adolescent must pilot a giant humanoid robot to save humanity. In the same world where a two-legged quadruped can run leisurely at the speed of sound with the aid of jewelry. Only one podcast can discuss this with their sanity intact. And this is Not That Podcast www.ssapodcast.com The Ass Backwards Anime Podcast Oh wait, I was supposed to use that voice in the beginning. Uh, let's go again. Man walks down the street in that hat. People know he's not afraid of anything. Gun damn straight.
All right, welcome back to Gundam at MAHQ. This is Chris, and we've got a special interview with someone who has appeared in many shows that we've talked about over the years. Domon's daughter, Colin Kozaki. You know her, you love her. Voice actress Karen Strassman joins us. Welcome to the show. Hi, you guys. <laughs> I've never, I've never been introduced as um, his daughter before. I, I in it's, my mind. Uh, that's a it's a long-running in-joke amongst uh, Kogius and Gundam fans because of uh, Colin's headband, which resembles a headband worn by Domon Kashu from G Gundam, and they're both pretty hot-blooded, so <laughs> there's tons of fan art with the two of them as uh, father and daughter. Oh, you guys will have to send me some of that. I'd love to see it. I, can, you, have to send, you have to send, some of me, uh, send me some of that, too. Is, I, this is the first time I've ever heard that. Yeah. And uh, speaking up there, uh, before his intro is good old Olive <laughs> Arlance, our publicist who made this interview possible. So thank you for that, Dalo. Uh, no problem. No problem. That's my job. That's the soul, and that's the wrecking up uh, Neo's news. If I can get take, steal that from Solbro. <laughs> All right. So we're gonna jump right into this interview and uh you know when you're hearing this you listeners you'll notice that we didn't have a thread for this interview so it's a surprise and uh, we've got all your questions that you'd probably ask covered so uh just to get into things karen i noticed from your bio that you have uh dual nationality in america and france so i'm wondering where were you actually born and mentioned that you spent half your your life in france correct yeah that's true um, I was born in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad moved there from New York, and my mother uh, was Danish. And so half of my family still lives in Denmark, and I'm actually half Danish. Um, what happened is I moved as a student to Paris, and I was just going to study there for a year. Um, and then I started getting work there as an actress. And... Um, a dialect coach and as a voice actress and I decided to stay another year and I kept on getting work so I decided to stay another year and then I got married and I decided to stay another year and uh, I ended up staying I lived there for about 16 years um, I moved back to this country oh about nine or ten years ago now nine years oh. yeah so had you learned to speak French before moving to France, or did you pick it up while you were there? I, I learned it growing up, um, but I really, you know, I really dove into it um, and perfected it when I was in France. I spoke, you know, I spoke very fundamental French before I got there. But you know, if you live in a country for a long time and you love the language and you're passionate about speaking it, you can get to speak it pretty fluently, and I, I do. So at least I've been told I do. So, Pretty so cool. tell us, tell us a little bit about how it was you got into the acting business over there. Actually, it was interesting because I've been passionate about acting all my life since I was a very little kid, and it's kind of always been my childhood dream was to be an actress. I think my story is kind of cool because, you know, I'm not one of those people who just, you know, I knew. I knew from the beginning and I had the confidence and I just made it happen. You know, I always knew and it was always a dream, but I, I didn't have the confidence. I didn't think I was good enough and I was scared. And, you know, I thought only like, you know, tall girls with, you know, beautiful blonde hair and big boobs and long legs could be actresses. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I was studying psychology and 
when I went to France, I just fell into an opportunity to do an apprenticeship as a dialect coach, which meant I was coaching French actors to act in English because there's a lot of films and television productions that go over there to shoot in France. And they either want French, they either just want to hire French actors who speak English well enough so that they have their French accent, but you can understand what they're saying. (laughs) Or so that they can lose their accent. And I was, turned out I was really, really good at that. And I mean, literally, I was just a kid. And I got this apprenticeship and I was so good at it that they hired me to be a full-time coach the following year. And I was coaching a lot of um, French celebrities. And then I was onto television and film sets and coaching actors on the sets. And then once I was on the sets, uh, directors would say, oh, little Karen, she's so cute. (laughs) Why don't we give her a role? It'd be so sweet. So I started doing French television and film that way, and I got an agent. And um, and then from there, I started I started doing voiceover, and I started dubbing French films into English. Um, and sometimes I dubbed I dubbed French films into French. For example, um, when they did the French dub of the movie French Kiss with Meg Ryan in it and Kevin Kline, um, they wanted a woman with a little bit of an accent. So I actually dubbed Meg Ryan's voice from American into French. Um, and I just started and then all of a sudden I started getting hired to do cartoons and um, and for um, for those animation um, geeks and passionates out there I got to tell you France has just the most beautiful animation going on it's really original and really artistic and um, and they do a lot of their original versions in English so they can better sell it to the international market. So I was just, I mean, I was working a boatload and I, I kind of had a career out there. And then I, you know, started working for famous French directors. And, you know, I got to work with Gérard Depardieu, to work with Polanski. Polanski. Wow. Um, and I just, I had such a wonderful adventurous best life, you know, and I'd travel to different places and shoot films in Spain or Germany. Um, it was really a really cool adventure. And, you know, to anybody who ever, you know, has a desire to travel or live in another country for a little while, I highly, highly recommend it. It just opens up your world, you know, and it's just such a wonderful, rich adventure to soak yourself into another culture. Um, and it also kind of gives you an opportunity to kind of discover other parts of yourself because nobody knows you and you can just kind of go in and just sort of have a new and different life, you know? I, I highly recommend it. Anyway, that was a very long answer to a short question. <laughs> no, it's, it's an interesting answer. And I like to take a step back. The dialect coaching, I don't know what period you were doing that, but one notable uh, French co-production show, one of my favorites, was Highlander. And by any chance, did you give any coaching to any actors who worked on that show since they used to film half of that show in France and half in Canada? I um, Actually, that was one of the shows that I could have worked on and might have worked on. Once they got into that, I was actually so busy with voiceover at that time mm-hmm. that I wasn't sort of available to steadily coach on that show. So... Mm-hmm. I, I didn't. I didn't do that, but I know people who did, and and I and also that was a really a really fun show. Um, but uh, that's fun that you know about that that show because that was <laughs> that time. 
Oh yeah, I'm a I'm a big Highlander fan, and I I love the TV show. So, and I was always aware that every season, it being a French Canadian co-production, they'd always have some contrivance to send Duncan to Paris for the second half of the season. So, um, how then did you get into um, the entertainment field when you moved back to the states, and what did you start out in? Well, that's a fun story too, because when I came here. I didn't know anybody. Hmm. I knew I knew two people. I knew a friend who was a um, film composer and a, mu- a musician um, and film composer. And then I knew um, a really wonderful, loving acting coach named Bernard Hiller. Oh. And um, they they both helped me as they could. But I really like I I came to this you know I came to Los Angeles and I'd never really been to Los Angeles before and. You know, I had lived in another country for 16 years, so it was a whole, it was a real kind of culture shock, not in a negative way, but it was just a very different rhythm and way of going about things. And I kind of, I didn't start from zero because I'd had so much success in Europe that I had a lot of work to show for myself. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I I did have to start from zero um, making contacts and the very first people who I worked for in voiceover, the first job I believe I, the first person I worked for with Jonathan was Jonathan Klein for New Generation Pictures. And um, if you look back in what he did about ten years ago, I did um, I did some of his very early uh, anime, and then I started working for Bang Zoom. And oh, and I. You, pro- you guys probably know who Mona Marshall is. Yes, oh, yes. absolutely. Um, I definitely he, do. I was introduced to her, and I didn't know anybody in town. And I was introduced to her, and she very, I guess she heard my reel, and she realized that I, you know, was good at what I do. And she um, introduced me to a bunch of people, including Bang Zoom, and she brought me to auditions for Bang Zoom. She was just so generous and she's done that for quite a few people who have come into town and I always try and do the same thing for people who I feel that are talented is you know it's it's a real business voiceover is a real business where we're real there's a real sense of family and a real sense of helping each other and uh and it's really because of her that I made up met up with uh Bang Zoom and um and then started just started working in anime in Los Angeles so before we get into uh, questions about specific roles, I'm curious, what are some of the differences between working in the French entertainment industry versus the American one that you would have noticed over the years? Well, um, for starters, the big difference in working in, um, in voiceover is like, say, we're talking about doing a dub of a, you know, of a cartoon, for example. Mm-hmm. In, in America, I will just go in and work and it will just be me and the director and the engineer. Like if I go into Bang Zoom um, and go to record, it'll be me and, you know, Tony or me and Christy um, or me and Alex and then one of the engineers. And, um, and we'll just go through, you know, loop by loop and do all my lines, you know. Um, whereas in France... Um, we would all, all the cast would be there together. And so we would, 
all stand in the room with one mic, miking us all, mm-hmm. and say in the scene there were five characters in that scene, then five of us would come up to the mic, and instead of the lines being written on a piece of paper, in France, the lines are actually written right on the bottom of the screen. And as the, as the show is being played or the loop is being played, it's moved red light and you need to say each word as it hits a red light that's called a, a band rit- a, a rhythm band. and so you actually in America you're kind of memorizing the line or reading it off the page and looking up to fit it in the character's mouth and there's three beeps but in French there's not three beeps they just start it and as the words roll through you're reading the word and looking up character's mouth at the same time got four other characters and you guys just lines as they happen um in the american way you can get very very precise on each line but in the french and european way it's very interesting because all the actors there so you can play off of each other and it's also it's kind of like a party every time because everybody's there so so that's very different um, and so in terms of, you know, voiceover and, you know, doing dubs of shows and cartoons and stuff, it, it's, it's quite different. And do you have a particular preference for either setup of working with the rest of the cast at once or working on your own with the voice director? I really love working with the rest of the cast. I mean, I think, I think when you get other people and other actors to collaborate, especially if there's good chemistry between you, it's just... So much fun. Um, the problem with it is it's more time intensive because you don't just go in and do your own lines. You just roll through the thing. So, you know, sometimes right. if you're not in a scene, you have to sit back on the couch and watch everybody else as they're doing theirs. And, you know, it takes longer. So it's not as time efficient, but mm-hmm. it's, um, it's so much fun. I mean, I love doing the American way because you can get very, very specific and it is very time efficient. But um, the European way, it, it, uh, it's just so much fun. And, you know, and in America, when we record um, original anthem, of course, you have everybody in the room. You know, so all the shows that you see on TV that are original. And right. um, one of the shows I'm working on right now called Monsuno, um, which is actually the number one show on Nicktoons right now, which is. Oh, uh-huh. I've heard um, about that show. And uh, we can talk about that later. That is, a, that's a a group record, and it's a you know it's original animation, and it's me, uh, Kirk Thornton, Chris Smith, Keith Silverstein, and uh, Ken Clark. All of us together doing all of the characters, and we just have so much fun. And of course, it's, it's original, so you know we're not dubbing to picture; we're uh, we're creating everything with our own voices, and it's just. So much fun. So there you go. <laughs> it's got to be a ride to record with all of those guys. <laughs> those are some Those are some big names that we all admire here. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. They are so funny. I mean, they are all so spontaneous and so funny. And I'm not like, I'm not really like you can tell, like I'm sort of, sort of a more like warm and fuzzy, meaningful person that likes to find meaning in life. But I'm not like, I don't have like, I'm not like really funny like they are. They are just I mean, I just, they just keep me laughing. I just laugh and laugh. <laughs> yeah. So 
my last general question, and then we'll just start going around the uh, figurative table here. Your credits include a lot of work in live action, in video game voiceover, in anime voiceover, and obviously American animation. Out of all these different mediums, um, what are some of the challenges in working in them, and do you have any particular preference for any of these different forms of acting? Well, I think each medium has its own specific challenges, and each one has, you know, just... I love each one. They're all, you know, they all require acting, you know, but they all do require specific skills. Um, I I have a particular penchant for um, on-camera acting. I I love the intimacy of live action, um, and I love... Yeah, I just, I just, for me, being on a TV set or a movie set with, you know, all of these people, this huge team of people who have to be there to make it happen, you know, the DP and the director and all the producers and, you know, the costume people and the prop people and the grips and, you know, the makeup people and everybody is coming together, you know, with their own specific skill that they have mastered to make magic happen, you know, and, you know, it's like people have to put their egos out of the way and just do their job in a really efficient, timely manner, you know, to get the shot ready and everybody comes in and does what they do best. And, um, it's just, I just love being on a film or movie set. It's just, it's so, it's so magical. And to feel like, you know, everybody's job is so important because without each person in their specific job, you know, you couldn't make that, you know, that moment happen, you know? And um, and then the moment when everything is ready and then they yell action and everything gets really quiet. And then for myself as an actor, you just have to get super, super present and, you know, make something magic happen, whether it's, you know, funny or you know, meaningful or sad or terrifying and, um, and working with actors who are, you know, have done this for many years. It's just, uh, it's one of my favorite things in the world to do, you know, and when I'm on a movie set, I feel like I'm home, you know, I got to do this wonderful run on the show weeds. Yes. Uh, I got to work with, uh, uh, Kevin and he was just so much fun to work with. <laughs> Mary Louise Parker and just every it just it was just so much fun so that's magical but at the same time you know talking you know about you know my experience working with these guys on Monsoon I mean we're recording Monsoon right now about once a week and that's the highlight of my week right now knowing I'm going to go be in a recording room for four hours with these guys and an amazing director whose name is Rene Veilleux and an amazing writer whose name is Mike Ryan, who writes a lot for Scooby-Doo and a lot of other shows. Mm -hmm. Just be part of this, just this fun, magical, you know, craziness and, and all this talent is just, it's one of my favorite things as well, you know? And then, you know, and then I love, I love video games and, you know, the characters that you create. And I, you know, I love being able to be a big Boob, scary villain. <laughs> <laughs> to a studio, be it for video game or animation or anime, and you know my agent calling me and saying, "Hey, you, uh, you're booked for this time in this studio," and I don't even know what I'm doing, and I show up, and they hand you the copy, and they show you pictures of your character, and they tell you, and they're like, "Okay, she's evil, and she has a Russian accent." 
and you know, and this character is a dwarf, and they have a British accent, and you kind of look at the characters, and you just start making stuff up, you know. And, you know, the guys are on the line on the other end, like two guys from Blizzard or, you know, they're on Skype and everybody's putting there. And it's just, it's so much fun. So, I mean, I just, I just, I really, or if it's for a Diet Coke commercial and you go in and there's two guys from Ohio and one guy from New York and, you know, one guy from San Diego and they're all on Skype and you say a couple lines and they're like, yeah, that sounds cool. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> So, Dalo, I believe you had a couple of questions. Why don't you hit us up with them? Well, I well after hearing your story, there was one question I've been I had that I've actually come up with right now, and that is, given the fact that you love being in front of the the mic, uh, the mic, in terms of like the actual lens of the camera, like live action and stuff like that, and I've been on a few movie sets here and there. I, my question is, what is your dream like project that you, if you could, be on any type of show or be part of a, a crew with a certain a certain amount of people like say for example if you wanted to be do a movie that was uh, directed by steven spielberg himself what is your dream live action project that you would love to be a part of well there's actually one that um is in the works right now which is one of my dream projects um but i can't talk about that yet so hopefully oh. hopefully um in a couple months or you know, you know, if you guys have me back on the show, I can talk about it, but I can't. So I'll uh, say that, you know, being on a show like being a series regular on a show like Grey's Anatomy would be a, green, a dream project for me. Or being a series regular on a show like Mad Men or being a series regular on a show like um, Homeland. Thunder. Um, okay. I said, there's some projects in the work right now, but I can't talk about it. They might reveal that. <laughs> uh, damn non-disclosure agreements. Okay, damn well, you NDAs. The terrible tease, but uh, all the more reason to huh. talk about it in the future when it is possible. So, I, I Okay. That. Well, in, in that case, I'll just move on to another question I have. This one is related to something I just recently played, which is a video game called Virtue's Last Reward. And oh. your role is your role as Phi, considering that one, that took me by very much a surprise, considering it was one of the first Vita games I played. And I, could you talk about your experience playing that character and like the voice direction that you had to go through to get that character to be <laughs> as, I guess you could say, sassy and maybe a little bit more deadpan as you possibly could? Because that was a really well done performance uh, from that character. And I really get, became really attached to that character. So I just want to know some of your experiences actually recording that. God, I'm so touched that you say that. Thank you so much. Um, it's uh, the reason why I did such a good job. If it was a good job was, um, thanks to Valerie Aram at PCB productions. She directed me and she is an amazing director. And I think she really helped me create this character um, and, uh, and all the guys, you know, from the, from the game company who came and who knew exactly what they wanted. And it's funny because at first, you know, I had been cast for it. And when they told me she was really dry and deadpan, um, I was, I was, and this, this happens. Sometimes I walk in and I'm like, Oh, cool. I get to play this. I know exactly what I'm going to do. <laughs> and then sometimes I walk into a studio and, you know, I'm given a character and I kind of like. I don't say anything, but I'm kind of like, wow, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. 
And they cast me for this dry, deadpan character. And I mean, that's really not who I am in, in real life. I mean, again, I'm kind of like, I tend to be sort of like, you know, warm and fuzzy or a little goofy or I do sexy well, but I'm not, I'm not like the cold, like deadpan. I'm just, I'm just not like that in real life. And they told me, and I thought, I don't know how I'm going to find this. I didn't say that to them, but I thought, oh, and one of the thoughts I had was, oh, I think they cast the wrong person. And I started thinking of all of the um, wonderful voiceover actresses that I love and respect. You know, I'm like, oh, God, Laura Bailey could have played this so well. Oh, God, Cindy Robinson could have played this so well. Hmm. Oh, God, Michelle Ruff could have played this. Oh, (laughs) um. (laughs) Mary Elizabeth could have rocked this. And I had this like list running in my head of all these people who should have been cast instead of me. <laughs> and, um, and then, and then we dove in and I just started throwing stuff out and they're like, mm, a little more like that. And I went, okay. And I did a little more like that. And they're like, Oh, that's good. Oh, can you make her voice lower? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now make it like this. And we just, you know, it was sort of like, sometimes it's like you throw a piece of clay on a potter's wheel and you just, start it just starts taking form and all of a sudden this character just emerged that I had never done before because you know I'm sure you guys hear like voices sometimes and you'll hear us do a voice and you're like oh that sounds like this character you know oh that sounds you know and, and sometimes we'll have like voices but I really I mean like I think she's similar to a couple characters I've done but she's still kind of different and uh, and this character just evolved And the thing that kept me on track is if I felt like she was not dry enough, Valerie and I had this thing where I'd go at the end of the sentence, I'd think you idiot, you know? (laughs) Yeah, that was a, that's, that sounds like her. Exactly. So that's not the time for this. (laughs) (laughs) I'll pass the mic back to Chris. And so, so somebody else could get a chance. So, uh, Sobra, why don't you throw some questions at us? I'm sure you've got some. I've got a few. Uh, and, and, and thank you for taking time to talk to us today. Oh, uh, that's great. Oh. You aren't having any fun at all. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a blast, to be honest. And, um, and I, I guess uh, you, you, you've talked about this a little bit um, so far, but how often do you find it? That you go into a job, and I, I, I primarily, I, I, I guess this happens in um, when you voice anime and when you voice in uh, video games, that you're finding about the character that day, and then you have to. Um, what's your process in order to, you know, to, to find your fit with that character when you find out what character you're going to be playing? Well, it's about seventy-five percent of the time. I'd say more often than not, I do not know. Um, or occasionally they'll call me and they won't tell me, but I'll look up. I'll look up the project and see if I had auditioned for it. And then I'll pull up what I did for the audition. But sometimes when I come in, they'll like my audition, but they'll want it a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes if I just get cast in it and I don't know, um, basically I'll go in and they'll give me as much information as they have. And sometimes that's just a description. Mm. Sometimes it's a description and a picture. Sometimes it's a description, a picture, and a voice they have that they want me to sort of assimilate. Or, you know, if it's Japanese anime, then they'll have the picture and the, the Japanese voice. Mm-hmm. And, and so basically I just start, you know, throwing stuff like spaghetti. You know, I just start <laughs> stuff up against the wall and go, all right, what about this? And they'll go, ooh, that's good. But, you know, or, oh, not so much. <laughs> 
or they'll go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But can you make her, you know, not as smart? It's like, okay. Oh, that's good. But, you know, can you make her voice a little lower? Can you do that? And they'll say, oh, that's good, but that's too low. Can you make her, like, a little bit higher and a little bit younger, but not too high? And then I'll do that. You know, and it's literally, like I said, they'll just, like, throwing a piece of clay onto a potter's wheel and just start, you know, it just starts taking form. Ah. Really fun. And it's always, sometimes... Sometimes it's just pure fun and sometimes it's a little bit scary because sometimes I'm thinking, I don't know if I can give them what they want. And then they go, that's perfect. And you're just like, oh, yay. <laughs> it's nice to find that, 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 that ground once you, once you uh, get into that character. I, I, I guess it takes a, a, an amazing amount of improv. Do you do any kind of improvisational acting at all on the side or been a, a part of any kind of troupe before? Um, I've never been part of an improv troupe. I've taken a bunch of improv classes and I, I really enjoy that. I, I hope to take more classes this year. Ah. Um, but I've never been part of an improv troupe. Um, but I, you know, I, I love, I love doing it and I love being around people who do it. <laughs> yeah, but with all the, with all the voice work that you do, especially in anime and video games, you're a natural. <laughs> if, if you, if you're finding about your character that day and you have to find that fit and then perform that character, I, I think you, I think you'll do quite well. And, um, I, if I hope I hopefully I'll get to see some of it. <laughs> but, <laughs> I hope so too. But um, I I, I there's a, a few characters that um that you've you've performed that I have really enjoyed. Um, I'm a big fighting game fan, so I'm I'm really familiar with uh your char- your performance as uh Helena Douglas on in the DOA games, and yeah. um, you had to incorporate French into that role as well. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> Elena. She's uh, very French and. Um, in the games, each game, she was a little bit different. But yes, Helena, she's a very, very fun to, to record, you know? Oh, my gosh. That make my hair stand on end. <laughs> <laughs> we also performed uh, a Gwendolyn, an Odin Spear, which is the first time I believe I've ever was exposed to you um, when I bought that game. I love that game. It was so much fun. Oh, I love that game. That was a while back. Yeah. She was, she was fun, too. But um, one of the characters who I've known for a long time but recently came back into video games, you did the voice of uh, Poison Kiss in Street Fighter Cross Tekken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's and, pretty controversial. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Uh, she's got a long history. And people to this day still ask questions about what well, she is. And uh, I know Chris. He's, that, he's got that a, gender pronoun, that it, it <laughs> troubles me greatly because. What is it? <laughs> she's, she's so attractive, but but she's probably a man so it's a trap <laughs> it is a trap do you guys yeah. know very conflicted guys, feelings do you guys know the history of why they did that yes i do um uh basically when uh, the original final fight came out yeah. um they knew that it would uh, find controversy <coughs> with uh men beating on women yes so that's the reason why they uh made that character uh i guess be a a a, a, a transgender character so a that new way, half as they call it in, uh, in japanese japan. exactly and in japan she's pre and 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 um in America, she's post and all that fun stuff. And um, it was a big deal when she came back into fighting games. It was uh, nice to hear that she was coming back. And then to hear your voice come out of her character just drove me nuts. Because uh, I use her all the time in that game. And, uh, <laughs> and Final Fight is one of my personal favorite uh, beat-em-up games from back in the old days. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that, you guys. Um, I was actually I was um, concerned when I did that role because oh. I knew that she had such a past. And when any character has a past like that, and especially because she never had a voice before, there's kind of a lot of pressure because you know people have what they imagine in their head, 
you know, and it's almost like, you know, reading a book and then going to the movie and seeing the book and, you know, is the movie going to live up to what you've imagined in your head? And mm-hmm. everybody imagines something different. You know, some people probably did imagine like a man's voice. <laughs> and Jonathan Klein from New Generation Pictures directed me in that. And oh. he, he in the production made the specific choice to actually have her have a very a feminine, sexy voice. You know, mm. I mean, she's pretty feisty. <laughs> <laughs> Without like, a doubt. But, you know, there was a specific choice made for her not to have like an androgynous masculine voice. And, you know, and I knew that there would be some fans that would be disappointed who would have liked her to have that. So when people write me that they do enjoy it and that it is fun. It's really nice to hear because, you know, I, I, I'm not the director, so I take the direction that's given to me and I follow that, um, and do it to the best of my capacities. But, um, you know, I wasn't quite sure if people would like it or not. Well, I, I did. I enjoyed it quite, quite, quite immensely. And thank you. <laughs> um, I, I guess my last question, um, and I just have to throw this out there. I, I, I loved your character in uh, the Twelve Kingdoms, Yuka Sugimoto. Um, she was, she was awesome. She was so mean, but she was so cool. <laughs> but um, uh, my highly underrated one, show. Yeah, very highly underrated. I own that whole show on DVD. And, and, and once, and one that I. Hope will one hope me being a hoper and dreamer oh, one no. day gets oh, God. finished because it just <laughs> oh, ends yeah. so horribly just in the middle of things. The, but, fact that, the fact that there's so many books left to be translated and and, and um and also brought well, so into many animation. left to be written because yeah. the story has yet to be done. But hey, I just read that Five Star Stories is starting up again, so miracles can happen. Hey man, oh, there you go. Oh, oh man, you looking at miracles, Chris? That's crazy. I know, <laughs> nuts, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe I'm preborn. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe so. Baptized in the fires of hate. But um, <laughs> mm-hmm. my last my last question um actually pertains to your role that you played in Monster. Oh, oh my God. I, I, I'm so I, happy. I, I was I was thinking I was just we're we're like in sync, you guys. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking, gosh, I wish we could talk about Monster. And then you brought it up. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. That's my favorite anime show I've ever done in my life. So I will t- I'll oh talk gosh. about it for hours. I am a huge. Yeah, that was gonna be my first question. Really? Well, we'll share this one. I'll just I'll, I'll kick it off, and then Chris, you can go uh, sure. into it further. But I'm a huge Naoki Urasawa fan. I read all his mangas, oh, and when God. Monster got animated, and you guys got cast for it, I was there. I bought the first volume, and um, I've watched the whole series in English. Uh, how, how did you feel playing uh, not only uh, Nina Fortner, but um, you played Anna Liebert? And spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen it, but um, Anna Liebert. Also, it's kind of a dual, duality character where you are playing her playing, it, but she's really Johan. So it's, you know, how yeah. did yeah. you uh, psychologically get ready for that? <laughs> well, you know, what's really cool is, mm-hmm. and this is the same, the same way that uh, I worked um, Code Geass mm-hmm. um, for both of those shows. They never told me what was going to happen next. And Patrick Seitz, who I'm sure you guys know and love. Because mm-hmm. uh, who doesn't love Patrick Seitz? Um, he is awesome, <laughs> especially especially in Tekken. As <laughs> 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 <It's> Hugo, <laughs> he's so much. He's, he's, he he also uh, blew the roof off of that oh. character in that, that that game too. But <laughs> oh, awesome. Um, anyway, he directed Monster, and he did oh. such an amazing. And but you know, and so he really directed me. He knew what was going to happen. And it wasn't like he was hiding it from me, like he would, but it was like we were really 
really focused on the moment. And then when he knew that it had to be tweaked a certain way, but, you know, we didn't want to spoil it for people either. And, you know, Nina and Anna, you know, they're, they're both so much in the moment. And then they're also in the haunted past. Mm -hmm. So it's each, I feel like each moment is so filled with both present moment and the haunted past that it's just, um, you know, there was always a sense that there was more than met the eye that was going on. And I kind of play that, but also in each moment was so just rich and intense. And I mean, on that show, you guys went like when she, I mean, I would, I would, it was really an emotional show. I mean, when she had to cry, I was just sitting there bawling too. <laughs> Tears would be running down my face and I'd have Kleenex. I mean, I was like, I was really there right with her. Um, it was, I mean, it was almost like doing on camera because it was just, even though the show is very surreal, it's also very real, mm -hmm. very intense. And um, gosh, it was just so well written and just so good. Um, Keith Silverstein was so good in that. Liam was so good in that. Yeah, his, his Dr. Temba was, was really incredible. I, I, my hat's off to him as well. I mean, anybody who's listening to this podcast who has not watched it, I just highly recommend you get your hands on it because it's just like once you start watching it, you won't want to stop. It just gets under your skin and it's just so well done. I'm, I'm just really bummed that, you know, they uh, whatever happened, they ran out of money or it wasn't well funded and, you know, it, it didn't have a bigger, uh, you know, yeah. uh, you know. I do believe the show is on either Hulu or Netflix. Maybe you could tell me that as the master of streaming. I, I am indeed the master of streaming, and I'm proud to say <laughs> that it's on both Hulu and Netflix. So if you guys have not seen Monster, dig in. It's incredible. You are robbing yourselves of one of the best anime ever if you haven't seen it. And uh, It's like The Fugitive on acid. Yes. <laughs> you know, the, the, thing about, the thing about Monster is it's one of the most un-anime anime I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. I agree. It could have just as easily been a live action show in the vein of something like Dexter or Luther. It could just easily live in the same world that those shows live in. And that to me was one of the appeals of it. So I'm curious, Karen, what did you think about approaching a show with a story that's very psychological and very different from the typical anime of, you know, fighting and robots and all of that sort of standard fare, so to speak, in comparison to this very non-standard show? Oh, I just loved it. I mean, I, I love anime that's really real. I just, I just love it. I just love it. So when I found out what it was and when I found out I had gotten cast, um, I was just, I was so excited. You know, it's fun because in a way, you know, anime is fun because you can create all of these bigger than life characters. But when you're doing something that real, you almost have to, instead of adding layers, you almost have to strip layers off of yourself and make yourself more vulnerable and more raw, you know, and, and I think that you have to be really careful not to overact because if you make it too big or cartoony, then it's not going to give people goosebumps, you know, but if you go into yourself and make yourself kind of raw and allow yourself to be touched by it and really go to that dark place or that, that place yourself, people feel it. And it, it has, I think it's really affecting, you know, and I love doing that. You know, I, I love it. Outstanding. Now, Monster um, 
was a pretty long anime series at 74 episodes. <laughs> Obviously, most anime aren't that long unless they're these uh, super long running fighting shows like Dragon Ball or One Piece. So how long overall was the um, recording time in, in terms of uh, months or whatever to do Monster compared yeah, to other shows that you generally work on? I think, I think we did it over the span of a year, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, on and you know, on and off. You know, there'd be three episodes that would come in and that would be translated, and I get a call and we just start doing them. You know, it's not like I'd work once a week, but then sometimes I'd work. You know, sometimes I'd work three times a week and then not work at all for the rest of the month. You know, it would just be kind of an on and off thing for a year. Um, and I remember once it was over, I was just so sad. Oh. And again, I mean. Patrick, I mean, he just worked so hard on that show, and he was writing it as well. They had other writers on it too, and it was just—it um, was just a really kind of intense period. And when it was over, I was just so sad because I, Patrick, and I had gotten so used to working together, and he put up with me, and you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you feel when you watch it. You feel very sad when it's over yeah. and exhausted. <laughs> It's just so good, but I want more. <laughs> that last episode was a was a crazy one, though. Oh, that's for sure. God. Oh, okay. So, so Neo, uh, you've been pretty quiet. I'm sure you got some questions. Yeah, actually, um, I got just a couple here. Um, the first one you, you've talked about. You pretty much started off as uh, you know doing teaching, and and we we know that you still do it. Um, you know, teaching other actors voice or whatever. Um, is that kind of one of your first passions and how difficult is to kind of keep on top of that with, you know, doing your other uh, acting roles? Um, that's an awesome question. I am a really, really lucky gal because I think I get to do all these different things. You know, I get to do all this awesome voiceover work. I get to do on camera um, and I get to coach and I, you know, I still coach as a dialect, a dialect coach. So I help people lose their foreign accents or their regional accents. You know, I help them, you know, talk standard American or they come to me to learn accents or people just come to me to prep, um, you know, just to prep auditions. And I work with people and, you know, they get a call and, you know, they're going to audition for, you know, uh, Grey's Anatomy or, you know, uh, Southland or whatever. And they call me and I help them prep their auditions. Um, and, um, as a matter of fact, uh, after this call, I have a gal who's going to come and we're going to prep two auditions that she has this coming week. Um, and you know what I love is I love the balance of it. Mm. Um, I love coaching because it gives me an opportunity to take any attention or focus off of myself and I think that sometimes being an actor, I get uncomfortable with it, like being about me, you know, like we're, we're spending an hour talking about me right now. And it's, it's flattering, but it also makes me a little uncomfortable because it's like, you know, me, me, you know, right. um, and when I coach somebody, I just get to pour all of my attention into them, you know? And I think also as I get a little older, what's really cool is that, you know, I've, learn some things over my years of working and it's kind of like a really huge gift for me to be able to give that back to other people. Um, I think the business that we're in is a real business of, you know, working together and helping each other. Like, I don't think it's a business that one can really achieve on one's own. I think, right. you know, I think it's just, 
there's so many people that you collaborate with and people you go to for help and people you help. And I think we're always kind of, you know, giving people a, you know, a hand, a hand hold up or a, right. you know, people to shoulder up and then they pull us up and then, you know, then you pull up. And I think that's the way it goes. And I think apparently pretty good at coaching coming to me. I don't know. It's a real gift to me to be able to have something to give back. Um, and also like, so if I'm having a bad day or I've had some really auditions or, you know, I just fall on my face and it's like, I get to kind of let all that go and just, you know, put my attention onto somebody else and just dive into their universe and, you know, create some magic together. So I love that. But I also couldn't just do coaching because I love acting too much. Right. And I that balance. I like it that way. Okay. That, um, and I guess kind of to offshoot from that question is, is there any, how many, is there any instances that um, you've had where you've actually coached somebody and something they did or something they showed you actually kind of actually helped you with your acting job in the future or anything like that, you know, kind of like you learned as much from them possibly unknowingly, uh, than, you know, um, than, than, you know, you, you thought of or something like that. That's an awesome question. And my answer would be yes, probably 100% of the time. Yeah. Okay. I feel like, I mean, I kind of feel like in life often when we're, you know, supporting people or giving them advice, I, I always feel like we're partially talking to them and partially just reminding ourselves of things that, you know, we've sort of started learning or mastered. But when we say them out loud to somebody else, it's like we can, you know, get, get them at a deeper level ourselves. And like, you know, every single time I coach, like stuff will come out of my mouth and, and then, you know, the person I'm coaching will leave and I'll go, wow, Karen, you should remember that for your audition tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you should remember that when you go into record tomorrow. That was a really cool idea you had. You know, you should you should listen to yourself sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all do that at times when we've uh, we've had instances where we've had to train other people for different things. So, uh -huh. um, just one last one, and um, I know that there's you know there's there's always changes with technology, and we're seeing you know with the proliferation of like YouTube and stuff. Um, you know the the thing of a lot of little shorts and you know people kind of doing you know projects on their own and stuff um do you feel is, is there any have you thought about how that may affect um you know your career in you know in, in either a positive or a negative way or or um you know how do you think it's going to affect um the entertainment industry as a whole um you know as we see more on demand and you know things and, and people's palms you know entertainment you know uh immediately downloadable. So, um, you know, I, I don't know how much you think about it, but I, I mean, I was just wondering if you had any, uh, any thoughts or, um, see any things that any, the, in, the entertainment industry as a whole may be going. So, um, well, it's funny you say, you say that because I was, um, sitting in my acting class on Wednesday night and I still, I still take acting classes. I'm, I feel, um, this is sort of a parenthesis. It has nothing to do with your question, but, um, I feel like acting is kind of like being a dancer, you know, and dancers, they always have to go into the studio and be at the bar and, yeah. you know, and I feel like, you know, I always just, 
either I'm working or I'm working on, you know, my craft and I'm learning and I just feel like I'm constantly learning. Um, so one of the acting coaches that I study with personally is a fantastic acting coach named Steve Easton. Um, his name is spelled E A S T I N Steve Easton. And you can, anybody who wants to, who lives in Los Angeles, who wants to study with him, you can go on his website and check him out. Um, he, uh, he was saying in his, the class the other night, and I just fully agree with him. Um, he said, there is more, there are more job opportunities out there as an actor than ever before. Oh, okay. He said, you know, when he was, you know, he's, I guess he's in his, um, I don't know, maybe in his early sixties right now or something. Um, but you know, he's been around and he was saying, you know, when he first came into town, there were three networks, you know, (laughs) (laughs) three networks and, you know, in PBS and, and that was it. And, you know, if you weren't, you know, so you were either going for one of the shows on one of those networks or to be in one of the handful of movies that was made in a year, you know, and now, I mean, because, you know, it, filmmaking is so doable, there are people making movies everywhere, all the time, all over the world. There are cable channels that just keep popping up. You know, there's web material. And I really feel like there are more opportunities to work than ever before. That said, there are probably more people competing for these jobs than ever before. Right, of course. Yeah. And it's actually a fact that less than 5% of the actors in SAG-AFTRA, which is the um, professional actors union, um, less than 5% of the union actors actually make their living as an actor. Ooh. And then you think of the thousands of actors who aren't, haven't even reached the level of getting into the unions yet. Um, and I'm like, I am so blessed to be one of those 5%. So I am just, I mean, I'm just one of the luckiest girls ever, you know? <laughs> I'm curious in regards to that, uh, that well-known statistic, specifically then in the anime dubbing part of the business, obviously there's been a lot of changes in the last few years and some companies are long, no longer with us like Central Park Media, Genion, yeah. or recently Bandai Entertainment, which made frequent oh. use of Bang Zoom. So are you and your colleagues who work in anime dubbing finding that well starting to dry up and are you maybe trying to diversify more with American animation and video games to make up for that decrease in anime dubbing? Well, first of all, just to put in a little uh, red flag, just uh, in regards to your statement about those drying up, one of the biggest reasons that Bandai and Genian had to close was because people weren't buying the products anymore. They were just stealing them, you know, offline or um, and I just want to say to all the fans who are listening to this, I know it's so easy to do and so tempting to do to get your shows that way. Um, but please don't do it. I mean, please buy stuff, you know, invest in stuff because otherwise basically what's happening now is there's so many series that are coming out of Japan that are just, they're just, you know, putting the translation in words at the bottom. They're just doing subtitles and that's it. Mm-hmm. They can't afford to dub it because they they won't make enough money. So um, that's basically the reason why this has all happened. Um, so I just want to say again, guys, spend money on this stuff. If, if you love this stuff, 
you know, pay actual money for it instead of stealing it, you know, and I, and I know how easy it is to do that. And I'm not like, I don't have like any huge judgment about it, but if you want the, if you want us to keep dubbing stuff, you know, invest money in it so that it will be a business that we can keep doing for you guys, you know, um, there's still a lot of stuff going on at BangZoom. BangZoom is real busy this year, and there's a couple projects that are that I'm I don't know the names of yet, but I've just auditioned for. So there's still a lot going on, but I've also always been somebody who kind of diversifies anyway. It's just the nature of what I do. Um, so I I've always just done that, um, and I will continue to. Um, but I do know that there are some people who used to just only do anime, and that they've had to diversify more because of that as well. Yeah. So I do have a couple of, um, series specific questions for you. And, um, obviously you have a deep connection with France. So I find it amusing that you played Mercedes in Gankutsuo <laughs> Count of Monte Cristo, oh, was, <laughs> which is, wasn't that series gorgeous? Yes. One of my all time favorite series. Oh. I mean, just the atmosphere of the show, the soundtrack, the, <laughs> visuals that are unlike anything I've ever seen before or since. Mm-hmm. So what did you think of playing this tragic character in this very wacky future sci-fi adaptation of this classic piece of French literature? Oh, it was so much fun. I just, um, you know, like I love the classic piece in French literature, but I just thought like, I thought what they did with it was just so creative and so much fun. And I felt like their characters were really complex, you know, and really interesting. And I just, I mean, every time I go into the studio to record and, you know, Tony Oliver was directing it and he did a wonderful job. Mm-hmm. Every single session I'd come in there, I felt like a broken frigging record. I just say to him, Oh God, Tony, this is so gorgeous. This is so cool. And I just, I just was blown away by the images and, and I just, I thought overall, I mean, on every level, I just thought they did a great job with it. And I love playing Mercedes and I love the turns that she took and it was really fun. Yeah. The yeah. Monte Cristo is one of my favorite novels. And, you know, obviously I started watching that show as soon as it came out. So I found that, you know, despite all the craziness, you know, blue space vampires and evil <laughs> face in the moon and all of that, all those crazy visuals, it probably was one of the best adaptations of Count of Monte Cristo, certainly more so than a lot of, you know, <laughs> traditional live action adaptations and sort of capturing the themes of that, of how far someone will go for revenge and, you know, what, what lessons do you learn from that? I was about to say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I third that because, and also I think what they did really well was even though they really stuck to a lot of the themes, they also went out a lot of creative limbs that was just, that really worked, you know? And I think, and I think that because they decided to do that and they did create this world, um, it just really, really worked. I, I was really impressed by it. Another show I want to ask you about, which I'm guessing a lot of listeners have been waiting for this since the start of the interview, is, of course, Code Geass. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I want you to tell me a little bit about uh, playing Colin because she's a rather interesting character in that she wears – a mask almost as much as Lelouch does because on the surface she's playing this uh, sickly rich Britannian girl, but then underneath that she's really this angry, hot-blooded guerrilla fighter who has some serious uh, issues with her mother. So how did you approach that character? Slash Playboy Bunny. (laughs) Slash Playboy Bunny when needed, yes. (laughs) 
slash costume mascot uh, bear oh, suit cat whatever that was. Speaking about that, you guys, um, one of the one of a, a wonderful wonderful fan, um, he uh, he sent me this gorgeous piece of artwork of that he drew of her. Um, in the Playboy Bunny outfit. Um, and I haven't done it yet because he wants me to sign it and send it back to him. But I'm going to scan it and put it on my Facebook fan page. Um, it's really cool. So if anybody wants to check that out, hopefully I'll have it scanned within the next week. Um, anyway, it's just now that uh, whenever I think of her in the Playboy Bunny outfit, I think of that picture, that uh, artwork that he did. I'll put it on my uh, my fan page site on Facebook. Um so what was your question? <laughs> my, my question was, uh, how did you approach playing this this character who has two sides to her, the, the public mask of the sickly rich girl, and then the real her, which is this hot-blooded, angry gorilla fighter? Well, basically, um, <laughs> Kevin from Animes directed me on this, and he was just so sadistic because he would not tell me what was going to happen at all. So I'd say, well, what's going to happen? He'd smile at me and shake his head knowingly back and forth. Nope, not going to tell you. I'm like, why? Not going to tell you. <laughs> so I did that whole series without knowing at all what was going to happen next. Um, so when it started out, when she was the sickly girl at the very first session, I thought that that's all she was. And what's really cool is that because I didn't know anymore, like I really – I think it doesn't give anything away to the fans because, and the audience because you really believe that at the beginning because I really believe that. And then little by little, you start to see that it's much more complex. And uh, we just kind of went with it each episode. Um, and it was really fun to discover all these sides to her. And then, you know, I also got like really attached to what I wish would have happened and, you know, wanting her and Zero to fall in love and live happily ever after. and. Hey. You know, <laughs> to become evil, and you know that. She, I mean, she just she had a lot of stuff on her plate. You know. So I'm curious, since you were kept in the dark throughout this journey, and this show took so many twists and turns, <laughs> especially by the end of R2. What did you think of the conclusion when you finally got to the end of how things turned out for for Colin, for Lelouch, for the story as a whole? I liked it. I think I think somewhere in me, you know, sometimes I really like endings that are, you know, that are out there and stuff. But sometimes I'm a little occasionally a little bit Disney. And I just like I like I said, I had this I really part of me just wanted, you know, wanted zero to turn into like a complete good guy. And for us to, you know, fall in love and get married and just, you know, <laughs> Yeah, I just like so. <laughs> I was just sort of a romantic about it. But, you know, but hearing, I hearing all this, hearing all this, it, it just makes me laugh because I I knew somebody who was just exactly like that watching that show, <laughs> and they were so upset when they when they saw the ending, for because yeah. they always shipped uh, uh, Zero and Colin Negro together. So hearing this whole just makes me laugh so much. <laughs> So to hear that is kind of interesting to say you got into the character so much. It was just, that's just a wonderful thing, I think. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry that I interrupted. Continue, Chris, continue. <laughs> so, so since you had this affinity for, uh, for Zero and Colin in uh, R2, the show, quite a, quite a lot of episodes was pushing Colin more in the direction of Gino Weinberg, the Britannian Knight. So during recording, did you find yourself wishing like, Maybe that uh, it had been more with Lelouch instead of Gino as written. Totally. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> Lelouch is a killer, literally. He is a lady killer, no doubt. <laughs> Walks all over them, like like Bruce Wayne. <laughs> so, um, I guess my last question is: um, aside from Monsuno, is there anything else you're working on now that you can talk about that you want to give some mention to? Or uh, talk about that a little bit? Gosh, you guys, I'll tell you. I mean, the business has changed a lot in the last couple of years in that, like, as you asked me that question, what I did in my mind is I started flipping through the projects I've had recently and started flipping through how many NDAs I've signed mm-hmm. and, like, just going, oh, my God, what am I allowed to talk about now? <laughs> and I'm sure after a while the NDAs all blend into each other. Well, it's not that they blend into each other, but, like, there's NDA after NDA. And I'm like, I can talk about that. Oh, I can't talk about that. I mean, there's some really cool stuff that I want to talk about and I can't, um, you know what I can talk about, which is kind of cool, which is kind of off all of these subjects. But, um, there's a really cool app that Google is, Google is, um, has started some new games and new app. The app is called field trip and it's a, it's a really cool app for Google related, I guess, Androids and products where they're setting it up so that you can sort of go everywhere and, you know, open the app and it'll tell you facts about where you are. I've yeah, heard about this. Yeah. Uh, and I've I've it. It's pretty of, interesting. It's kind of cool. And I'm the official voice for that app. Really? Um, and um, I'm not allowed to say whether or not I'm part of it, but Google has a new game that looks really cool that's unlike any other game I've seen um, and at first they were calling it Niantic, but now they've changed it. Uh, Ingress, um, I think, is called. Yes. Yeah, I've um, heard about this—the alternate reality game with an Android app. Yeah, it's it's going to be really cool. It's it's in development right now, and I think they've I think you can start to play it already. Um, yeah, they're so, doing invites. You have to sign up for it. Yeah, yeah. So um, you might hear some familiar voices in that, maybe. Me. So I guess I won't be on iPhone then. <laughs> no, I know. Is it drag? Sorry, sorry, Neo. You picked you picked the wrong horse, but I'll oh, I'll download on. it on my phone and check it out. <laughs> and well, we know Silver so- won't be downloading it either on his Windows phone. Ooh. Oh boy. That Windows phone. I, I I can't wait to I can't wait for my contract to end. I'm gonna I'm gonna break it over my knee. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you would, and rather than recycling it, so. You know what? You know what's also coming out, you guys. That'll be really cool. Is um the new StarCraft Two is going to be coming out sometime soon, and I play this really really cool character in it, a character named Isha, and um you can find her on YouTube. There's um a little scene between her and Kerrigan on YouTube. But she's like this, she used to be human, but now she's like this serpentine human computer. Um, and because Kerrigan, you know, has lost her memory of a lot, Isha has become sort of a memory bank of a lot of Kerrigan's uh, past. So they have a kind of interesting relationship. And I think that that new uh, StarCraft Two is going to be really cool. Um, so that will be coming out soon. And uh, I've been doing a bunch of stuff at Bang Zoom recently. I just, I just don't know if I can talk about it. And there's, <laughs> and there's a bunch play of on, let's play on the safe side. And, yeah. and I don't know if I can talk about them. Um, it makes for a very boring preview. I'm also, 
um, in pre-production to shoot um, a TV series that we're going to be shooting in different parts of the world and um, in uh, Shanghai and in France and in Canada. And I'll have a lead in that. It's a live action TV series and it's called Signs, uh, like astrological signs or street signs. It's called Signs. But we're we're just in pre-production now, so it hasn't – I mean, I, I haven't signed an NDA on it, so I can actually talk about it. But I don't know when we're going to start shooting. I think we're going to start shooting um, early spring or something like that. Um, and there's another live action that is in the works that I can't talk about. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, next, time, next time we talk um, – you know, if we talk a couple months from now or six months or a year, I could, there'll be more stuff that I'll actually be able to, you know, that I'll, I'll, the handcuffs will be off and I can finally talk about some stuff. But, but by then there'll still be more NDAs for future things. So it's just a, a never ending cycle of, People are of so NDAs. Things stolen. I mean, I guess because stuff gets stolen. I, I right. Yeah. Especially in the internet age, it's it, it doesn't take long for an idea to find its way into the internet and get um, copied five or six million times. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. It's so true. So yeah. unless uh, anyone has any final questions, I think we're going to wrap this up. I, just, I got a, I got a couple. Uh, I've been holding back. Just just one question. During like when you would like record for any Bandai show for Bandai Entertainment. Do you, how often is it that you had that you have representatives from the Japanese branch of like some of these said shows like Code Geass or Gundam, for example, like Gundam Unicorn? How often do the Japanese executives come in to check on the dubbing? Do they ever do that, or is that something yeah. that's very rare? Um, um, they usually come in. Um, I'd say probably about fifty percent of the time um, for all the new shows, and then often once we get a show off the ground, like. I think when we did Lucky Star, we had um, the Japanese execs in at the beginning with us. And then once we got it off the ground and we knew what we were doing, then, you know, we kind of had it all uh, oiled up and we were, we were good to go. So they didn't need to come anymore. Um, you know, but there, there, there are some shows when they trust us and we know what we're doing. And, and there's some shows where they, they are like there's a Japanese exec in almost every session just to make sure. Um, so it kind of kind of depends. Okay, so I was all right. That was just I was just wondering about that because I I heard about that sometimes. So, yeah. but but uh, other than that, I I don't have any other questions. I just want to say thank you for your role for Juliana Everhart in Valkyria Chronicles too. That, oh, I loved her. Oh yeah, that's one of my favorite video games of all time, and I really liked her character. It really broke my heart when oh. a certain thing happened to her. But yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I know. Yeah, you know. You, hmm. I, I, but, I just well, go ahead. No, I was just going to pass it over to you, Sobar. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I just want to let people um, remind people that um, you can catch Karen in um, in Persona Four, the uh, the Golden Persona Four Golden, which just came out. Uh, Persona Four Arena. Where you voice uh, Nanako and um, Aegis as well. Yeah. And, and uh, what, one of the characters I like using in that. And um, also in uh, Dead or Alive 5, which also just recently came out. So Are we know. doing everybody from Persona now? No. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, you're the second in the row. Hey, man. It's a hot common, thing right now. It's a hot thing, man. It's what's yes. on the streets. <laughs> and you know, you know um, Persona the Animation is going to come out soon, too. Yes. And, and that's yeah. the last thing I wanted to bring up is that um, the first volume, I think, is already out. Yeah, it's and, already out, and, and then the, the second, second one's coming is, out in January. It's on its way. Uh, so. And the whole series is so good, you guys. It is so good. It, 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 I love it. 
I'm looking forward to seeing it in um, in English because I watched the streams on um, on Hulu and um, looking forward to seeing you guys perform, especially getting warmed up to your voices in the video games. It'll be nice to see uh, the characters I watched on the uh, Japanese version be voiced by the characters I know from the video games. So um, I'm really looking forward to, to picking those up. Get ready for all the one-liners from JYB. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I would like to thank uh, Karen for joining us. Why don't you quickly tell people where they can find you on the internet? Um, I have a Facebook um, fan page, and I'm pretty good. I go there as often as I can during the week, once or twice, or every day if I can. And um, I'm, I try and answer every single question that people ask me there. And if you want to post your uh, fan art, um, I love that. Um, questions, you know, trivia, um, <laughs> and and again, I try and I answer every single question that people post there. So that's that's the best way to communicate with me. Um, some people have found my email, and I just I'm not able to. It just gets too overwhelming. But the fan site, I will communicate with every single person who finds me there, and I love that. So there you go. <laughs> hey, well, if you if you don't know uh, Karen by name, you probably know her voice. You're a Gundam listener. Check out all the stuff she's in. Code Geass, Gurren Lagan, Fafner, Gundam Unicorn, mm-hmm. and many, many more and in follow the wide her, world of video games. And follow her on Twitter as well, at uh, Karen Strassman as well. Thanks so much. You guys, you guys are wonderful. You guys are just so much fun to hang out with. Thank you. Well, it was, uh, it was our pleasure to, uh, to talk to you and uh, hear all about your work. They smelled bad on the outside on upcoming superhero movies. Scott, I'm gonna punch you in the face. Why? <laughs> because there is another movie that we must discuss. Oh, what's that? Man of Steel. Oh, Man of Steel. Okay, right, there's someone to say that. Here's my thoughts on Man of Steel. It's Zack Snyder directing Kryptonian on Kryptonian violence. And as much as I'm annoyed that they're recycling a Superman villain we've already seen on screen. And that there are plenty of Superman villains we could talk about. But he was the best Superman villain. This is going to be the best Dragon Ball Z movie ever. <laughs> I have no frame of reference for, dra- for Dragon Ball Z. Please check our website at I can't stand the silent treatment, Ibuki. Come on, I said I was sorry. Uh, Kagi, will you please just shut up? Ayama, you tell her. I didn't mean to say she wasn't dating. Things just pop out of my mouth sometimes. Besides, what does my opinion matter, right? I'm just a moron. Call me a moron, Ayama. Please? No, really, Akagi. It's okay. You're just saying what you think. And what you think is that I'm undateable. Just some loser girl alone every night. I never said that. But that's what you were thinking. That's why it popped out of your mouth, right? I don't know. Maybe. So, you admit it. Hey, you called me a maniac, remember? Yes, because what kind of man in his 
Shut up. Can you hear all this? You heard all of that? Oh, please, no! Go away, Todd. If you want to come in, you are going to have to break down the Gun. damn door! And so concludes episode 116 of Gundam at MHQ. And this episode, uh, we had covered the second season of Transformers Prime, which recently concluded on American television. And our second segment was uh, an interview with uh, voice actress Karen Straussman. So uh, definitely some good stuff there. Thank you uh, for Dolo for setting that up for us. And uh, before we end the show today, we're going to be going into the old new or into the old mail room because I'm sure it's probably piled high because I don't think we've done uh, the mailbag in a couple episodes for various reasons. So uh, not in a dog's age. Yes. So without further ado, uh, I'm turning it over to Mr. Postmaster General himself, Chris, with some mailbag questions. All right, well, first up, we have some voicemails we need to catch up on. And, of course, we take them at 305-792-8324 or 305-SWATFAG. And our first one comes from Australian Criminal Moo. I just wanted to ask, since apparently this voicemail didn't go through previously, but do you guys have any particular finishing moves that kind of stand out here for one reason or another or anything? Because, you know, this one's most, that's mostly super robot thing more, but still, one that's kind of an interesting one. Because I know one of Solbro's possible answers might be, but I won't say it. Just spoil it for him. One that always sticks out to me is Gal Geiger and the Goldion Hammer or the Goldion Crusher. Because of how his first finishing move was pretty much damaging Gal Geiger when he used Hell and Heaven. So that's pretty much it. And you also have to set your little attack name, but there is one. That's it, guys. I just want people to know that uh, since we use Google Voice, that sometimes it's got some pretty interesting translations. And you just heard what his message was. Well, I'm going to share with you a little bit of what Google thinks he actually said. (laughs) So this is Google Voice's interpretation of Moo's question. If this is relevant... Hey, today, moved from Mexico. This message is for come down, and I'm excuse. I just want to ask, since apparently this voicemail vendor for previously, do you guys have any particular finishing Bruce to kind of stand up here for one reason or another, or anything could, you know, this one, but the love you? See, you brought the thing more, but still, one, that's kind of interesting one, and 21010 still blows possible answers by, uh, but I website. This was the fourth. One that was picks up with me is Chow. Buy and the goal beyond have a hold of. 
Go Leone Prussia. Because of how, yes, I was finishing move loans. Pretty much damaging. Well, I got one you used. Helen happened, so that's pretty much it. Hey, you're he, and you also have to send you a little bit. I think that there is no, I think, I, but. <laughs> so which question should we answer? <laughs> the second one, of course. No. <laughs> <laughs> they both made no sense. I, 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 I guess I guess Google translations has a hard enough ac- a time with that accent as we do. So so I, I ha- I'm going to start because I have a perfect answer for finishing. What's that? Finishing move that cuts people's voicemails in half. Oh, there you go. <laughs> okay, Google Voice. <laughs> no, no, no. As in, get to the point. Mm-hmm. Okay. Edited for time. That's my favorite finishing move. Oh, okay. <laughs> well done. Um, I, I've got a uh, a few. The classic uh, breast of fire from uh, Magenzer Z. Great finishing move. I love that mess. Uh, ever since I was a kid. Um, Roger Smith's Mega Deuce Punch. Anytime you know he puts all he puts his he puts some stank into it when he uh when he rears that arm back and just tears up his opponent. That's so awesome to watch. Um, the Shining Finger from G Gundam. And uh, last, it's gonna name everything. Nah, my last one here is the uh, the Daedalus maneuver uh, for the SDF one in uh, Super Dimensional Fortress Macross. Uh, it was just so cool to see when uh, when watching that show for the first time. So those are some of my favorite finishing moves right there. Um, well, I'd probably have to say any any of the finishing moves that the Gurren Lagann does, <laughs> and now it's in various forms. Those are always pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? I don't know. I can't really think of two. Well, of course, rocket punch from Mazinger. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean that's 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 uh, as as silly as it seems on some of the from the original show now. Because when you look at it, it doesn't seem as you know it's it's not as uh, glorious looking. Mm-hmm. But you got to think though how many how much how many other moves this thing has influenced and you know how many other animes and stuff have copied it so even even pacific rim has a little bit of that in there well in that trailer yeah in that trailer so far yeah chris all right so moving on we're going to be switching to the regular mailbag which you can drop questions for in the mechatalk thread and our first one comes from k katsuragi who says new questions one for each of you Oh, all right. I'll start with Chris because he's the most important. <laughs> he actually wrote that in small text. I'm not making that up. self-aggrandize. <laughs> okay. Because he's the one reading the mailbag. Whenever you watch Most Beta by yourself and the opening starts to kick into gear, do you, like me, wail along with the vocalist on the awesome English lines like, do you remember that old lullaby and lonely soldier boy do you remember how <laughs> well clearly sobo does sobro does oh, yeah man that's the jam yes 80s 80s english rock man nothing beats that or even better yet the the horrible uh what's what what, what would be the term then for the opposite of an Eng, of an american person doing bad japanese as is the case uh, for the orgus opening uh <laughs> Japanglish? Japanglish. <laughs> Maybe? I don't know. I don't that, know. That, that, that stuff rocks, too. That's, that's a new one. We haven't, we haven't covered that topic before. Well, when we get to around to doing Orgus, we'll have to discuss yeah. this in great detail. Hell yeah. Sobro, 
Mm-hmm. I recently have seen a show you talked about a lot in the early days of Gundam, Argento Soma. All opinions aside, would you like to see someone like Ryu Soma be the lead of a Gundam series? Ryu Soma is really unique because uh, he's very vengeance-filled, and it's neat to see his journey from um, being how's someone that, who just How's wants... that unique? Being uh, well, <laughs> I mean, there, there, are the Gund- there, there have been a few Gundam characters who have been as well. Uh, leads, um, uh, I'm trying to think, what, what Gundam... Well, besides uh, Domon... Domon's a little vengeance Shin film. Asuka. Shin Asuka too, yeah. But I mean, you, you kind of see him come down from that when he realizes um, what the monster is in Argenta Soma. And I would like to see another character, maybe a possible lead of a Gundam series, go on that journey too. But it's kind of been done in Argento Soma, so maybe a little bit from that type of character, maybe sprinkled into uh, a, a more of an original lead for a Gundam series. But I, I, I do like some of my leads uh, filled with vengeance and then they, they find uh, a, a better path to go. So I, I kind of like that journey. I wouldn't mind seeing at least some of that in the next Gundam series if they decide to make their main character that. Okay. Neo, I stumbled across your old MySpace page recently. <laughs> oh, I couldn't up. help but notice a picture where you proclaimed you hate the infamous Luther Burger from the Boondocks. By God, man, how did you survive? And more importantly, how did it taste? I didn't say I hated it. I think he meant eight. Oh, okay. I, that's what I think he meant. He wrote, he wrote hate, but I okay. think he meant eight. eight. Okay. Well, <laughs> well okay, ate, there you go. Yeah, I ate it, and it was freaking delicious. Um, how I survived uh, by eating healthy for the next three months, because it, it, it will kill you, but it, it is what they described on the boondocks. It is basically crack. It is... Uh, sugary, beefy, cheesy, bacony, freaking crack. That it's delicious. It is freaking delicious. It actually brings me upon my. I have actually thought of a breakfast sandwich that I want to uh, that I want to um, to market called the breakfast dip, where it's it's basically you take a chicken breast and you smother it in um, maple syrup mm-hmm. and you put it on. Like you put it on biscuit. It's a biscuit, but the biscuit's long like a hoagie roll. It's just out of biscuit dough. You put on that. You put a slice of bacon in it, and you dip it in country gravy. Yes. It'll kill you, but doesn't that sound just awesome? You better get on that patent. <laughs> it's already been done. There's there's different variations of it. I've, Damn. But, no, Luther Burger, good. Um, not good for diabetics or people watching their weight, but uh, definitely a delicious treat that... Uh, all Americans should experience. All right. So <clears throat> next we have a question from the foul sorceress oh. who, who implores, Neil, I need your help. Oh, Uh-oh. what is this about? I keep, I keep having these lucid dreams about unicorns. And then when I wake up, I find myself in the middle of the night singing all along the watchtower. What should oh. I do? Oh, <laughs> immediately. Well, I, I know what Neil should do, which is clutch the robots home because this is this is one of these bastards right here. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's the first thing I would do is I would grab the tomes. Secondly, I'd make sure that none of my computers are networked. Thirdly, I look. I, I take the next train to Edward James Olmos's house and say, "Protect me. They're coming." But but what should he do? He should do that. Well, That's you know ex- it, he should. But do. but but he is the machines. <laughs> I'm about to say, foul, foul sorceress, man. He sounds like he's a Cylon, man. <laughs> he sounds like he's a combination oh. Cylon slash oh. six. Oh, well, if he, oh, okay. What he should do then is come to my house and 
I'm going to have him go into a dark room and hit him over the head with a with a mag light. <laughs> okay. Then then you call then, then that's when you call the um the admiral. <laughs> and and you call the admiral because he's not just the admiral, he's the cop from Blade Runner. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. see it all got it all comes together. It all comes together. Now, my advice is uh watch out for uh for Roy Batty cuz he's kind of batty. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Uh, don't trust Sean Young because she's crazy. Oh yeah. Oh, watch out for Z or uh, watch out for Al from uh, Quantum Leap. <laughs> Dude, Stockwell. Yeah. He's a jerk. He's a jerk too. Yeah. Uh, basically, just uh, don't go to Neo's house. Yeah. No, come to my house. I'll make go it- to go to uh, somewhere where you can live out an existence preferably in, in the forest with wooded animals and uh someday you'll just go nuts and explode or maybe go try to find the time of eve uh, cafe there you could do that you could hang out there you can have some robo sex robo sexin <laughs> yeah that's that's believe me once once the once the once once i get the rebellion army going that's the first place we're heading to we're taking them all out at once john connor was right <laughs> all right. You should get a t-shirt with that on there <laughs> you should <laughs> next we have a whole buttload of questions from Gundam 420 oh, oh damn it move he said a boatload of questions I was like uh oh yeah. number one this first question is for Chris Oh, I know that MHQ is primarily for Mecha but have you ever thought of putting character profiles and bios Ooh. I did consider this one briefly, maybe eight or nine years ago, but determined it's just too much damn work. Oh, yeah. It's hard enough keeping track of all of these damn robots, let alone the freaking pilots or captains or whoever the hell. (laughs) Especially if their stories continue, you've got to keep updating their profiles, too. Exactly. Yeah. Plus, man, God, I would hate to have to bring myself to write the profile for Kyo Asuno. So much hatred. Mm. <laughs> or or Nina Purpleton. Ugh. Oh man. The good times right there. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Number two. This one is for Solbro. Oh man. Being Gundam's resident Capcom aficionado, or in Chris and Neo's eyes, it's battered wife. Indeed. <laughs> what Capcom franchise would oh, you man. like to see revived? I would love to see a new Dino Crisis game. I know the third one was crap, but imagine a Dino Crisis game with Resident Evil 4-style gameplay. And, of course, the ever-lovely Regina. Man, I, I did like Dino Crisis 1. I thought it was really cool. I never played Part 2. No, I did play it. It was, uh, it was a fast-paced game. But as for a franchise to revive, I've said this before, um, the Capcom vs. SNK franchise. I would love to see them do a third one. Um, with that, 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 by far, is the one game i hope to see in the next within this decade Bakers. <laughs> just gotta say man number three so not even anything like like rival schools or, yeah. or strider no it's just well just no that. well at the top of my of course man it's, it's it's by far the best fighting game they ever put out but, that's, uh, that's more of a franchise than capcom verse SNK, that's just like a team up, right? Well, I mean, no, well, Capcom, Capcom was the one who made those games. SNK also. I, made their I own understand games that, that one, but, but it yeah. was still. I mean, it's still not. They're still using things from another company. Sure. Yeah. I mean, out of all of them, outside of that, Rival School certainly. Um, I just actually just started using a Dreamcast emulator, and I got it to work on my um laptop, and I've been playing a lot of uh Project Justice, 
as of recently, and I forgot how much fun that game was. Power hey, you know Stone. what I use? An actual Dreamcast. Uh, well, yeah, because mine died. <laughs> uh, and I have to go out and get another one. And uh, I just tried uh, the emulator, and I, I found it to be pretty nice. But I would still like to have an actual working system. Um, Power Stone is another franchise I wish they would bring back. They they went whole hog on that IP when they first started it with an anime and a manga and a, and a video game. And it was a whole lot of fun. Um I'd like to see them try to do a third one. It would be pretty nice to see that. So, there you go. All right. Number three. Which Gundams do you think people like to overrate, as in overblow their abilities, making them seem more than what they are? Death Sight. Well, <laughs> Turn it on a Moonlight Butterfly wins the match. <laughs> yeah, but that's not an overrated suit, though. <laughs> yeah, but, but it is when it's the Coliseum. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's true. The, yeah. the one-hit kill of Moonlight Butterfly wins the match. <laughs> if you can see, if there was a crowd of people waiting to uh, waiting waiting at a at a start line to to race to whatever suit they would want to during the during the Coliseum, everybody be, everybody would make a beeline for the turn A. <laughs> It'd be just one mass crowd. <laughs> All the other suits would come up second. But yeah, I think the Death Side. A lot of people love that suit, but um, I don't know. I don't think it's as cool as uh as advertised. And um, it, it's got it, it's it's got some neat designs, but. Um, its abilities. I, I don't know. I just don't think. I don't see it as being practical <laughs> compared to other suits. Wing Zero. Oh, I, I think Wing Zero is okay, but it gets a little overhyped. Um, because I think I think Epion's a lot cooler than Wing Zero. There you go. And I like the fact that Epion was the melee suit. You know, Plus it turned, never in, get- turned into a freaking dragon. Yep, Hero should never gave it up. He should have never gave it up. He should have kept that shit. Yeah, All right. Well, with spandex shorts. <laughs> Number four. Conversely, which mobile suits do you feel are underrepresented as far as their abilities go? Example: model kits that do more than what they actually do in the show, like the Double O Quanta, Destiny, etc. I would say Destiny because <clears throat> if you yeah. play as Destiny in any of the versus games, it's mm-hmm. actually a pretty damn good unit and yeah. is useful unlike the uh the show counterpart where it became a piece of crap the moment shin stepped in it and just became a retard because <laughs> lord kira must win all the time or what about the poor impulse when luna maria became the uh oh pilot oh <laughs> just or bad pilots that, overall it's, it's just a bad pilot yeah well, Impulse at least its its rep didn't go down because most of her yeah, fights right. were just shin stock footage. Yeah, that's cool. That's true. So that, that inflated that. her stats. <laughs> <laughs> forgot about that. <laughs> um, you know what my answer is going to be? The God Tear Suit itself, the Methus. I'm just kidding. Um, it takes a lick and keeps on kicking. Oh yeah, man, it's the easiest one to to, to repair and put out there, man. It's it's even it, when it blows up entirely. Woo! It's it'll be it'll be working the next day. <laughs> now uh, the Mark II uh, really got overshadowed by the Zeta once the Zeta showed up. I I have an affinity for the Mark II, uh, and uh, I don't think we got to see it put to the test. In uh, Zeta Gundam, because uh, the Zeta Gundam. Well, we did get to see it put to the test. The it test. got yeah. it got the crap beaten out of it. It came yeah. back in double Zeta, where oh, it was even was... more outclassed, and managed to survive you, until the very right. end of that show when that it got true. disrespected. It was because yeah, it... it was because I mean, 
in the end, the Mark II seemed like a step below the RX seventy eight dash two because yeah. it was more the Mac. It was the it was the more mass produced. You know, it wasn't the specialized prototype. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I mean, I think it was. I think it. I think it got plenty of opportunities to show that it still had it. It was just the other suits just progressed so much further. You know, I, I totally forget about Double Zeta, and um, you're right. Uh, it, it pretty much made it to the end and of that show. And you forgot about the awesome piloting skills of Jared Mesa. Shit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he was yeah. the best pilot ever for that suit, huh? <laughs> no, just, no, I'm saying for all the suits that... All the suits that uh, he would blow up at the end or damage when he'd fight the Mark II. Mm-hmm. You know, so Mark II held its own. I don't think it was uh, unrepresented in what I it just, could do. It was I pretty just, limited. I just see, I saw it get overshadowed, and um, I, I just, just mad because Emma died in one. Oh, it's just mad because it couldn't protect her ass. You found she, me out. No, it yeah. protected her. She was just the dumbass right. who got out of the cockpit. That's true. Yeah, she would have been just fine if she'd stay inside the cockpit. Yeah, that, that, that thing was built to last. She would have been safe right inside that beast, man. She that, was her own, right. that was her own damn fault. That's I wholeheartedly agree, man. She'd still be with us today. <laughs> Sadly. Well, she she lives on in fan art. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> Number five. Johnny Five. Mm-hmm. Need input. <laughs> He's alive. <laughs> Am I the only one who's getting sick of seeing lead Gundams getting remote weapons? It seems ever since Strike Freedom, having funnel-type weapons automatically makes a Gundam a god machine. Granted, the way the Double O Quanta used its bits were pretty original, but I'm afraid that we're going to see more lead Gundams in the future getting funnels as an excuse to make them uber-powerful. Most of the Gundams in the 80s and 90s didn't need them. How do you guys feel about this? Am I just overblowing this whole thing? Mm. Not at all, because it has been becoming a trend now, ever since uh, Strike Freedom, and uh, I think Age FX is a perfect example of what I don't want to see, which is um, the way they did it of just having the freaking Gundam float there in space and this idiot is waving the Gundam's arms around and that causes these little <laughs> slice and dice machines to fly around and slice things up without him actually engaging at close range and doing anything. That's yeah. just dumb. I don't, I didn't like that at all about the, the age effects has a nice design overall, but that implementation of the funnels was just really stupid. I agree. I mean, I understand the necessity, the, the, the necessity of, of having the Uber suit towards the end of the show because everything is escalated so, uh, so highly. But I, one of the things I love about Double O is that both the antagonist and the protagonist are forced to go back to their original suits. Well, in uh, season one. Yeah. What's that? Well, uh, yeah, in the, in, the, in the series, yeah, they had to. Yeah, but I mean, I'm talking about at the, at the end of at the end of Double O in the series. Yeah, they they had to go back to the original yeah. suits, and that just made for a more compelling fight at the end of the show. I I, I love that uh, aspect of the last episode. I thought that was really cool, and I would like to see more. I would like to see more of the pilot uh, show their abilities. And, and oh, and, you're asking too much, too much. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like in Mobile Suit Gundam, where Armoro started to outgrow his suit, but he still had to use it, and they had to tweak the suit in order for it to keep up with him. That's what I like to see, you know, in, in in another Gundam series. I don't mind upgrades. I just don't want it to become the the mech to beat at, by the end of the show. Or just, or or it becomes what Robert All said to him early in MSG was, "You won because of the suit, not because of your skill." Exactly. And that's what that's what you see with these things. And yeah, and then was, he said, "Play with me, boy." Yeah. <laughs> Ever seen one of these, boy? <laughs> <laughs> 
Ever seen a grown man naked, boy? <laughs> I mean, what? Come <laughs> on, how'd you get there? <laughs> oh my god! Oh, yeah, I, I'd have to kind of agree with that too. I, I, I don't, I don't, you know, when it, uh, you know, just having it where it's just become the uber god machine with all this stuff. And, and Chris brings up a great point with the age of facts. It just was. It just got ridiculous, and I mean, you know, outside of our feelings about the show and stuff, but just seeing the combat with the suit and all the things that he was doing and waving his arms, it just looked really dumb. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure it's probably going to go in waves like everything does. I'm sure, you know, the net, one of these Gundam shows down the road will be really successful where they bring everything back to, you know maybe the older ways of doing it hell maybe making it where they're not even uh the the the, the suits don't even fly that much or one or one only one or two of them fly in um you know in earth without uh without aids because it seems especially anything that's alternate century every suit works just as well in gravity as it works in zero gravity so you know i don't know but but it's it's definitely a, it's definitely a trend that we're starting to see and i i see this person's trepidation with it or because you know it, it it could we could just start seeing this uh, over and over again so the last question i noticed something interesting when looking at some of the pictures of the gundam front tokyo exhibit there's a wall that showcases new types throughout the gundam series and surprisingly one of them happens to be loran sehak mm-hmm. i don't recall there ever being any moment in turning where loran displayed any new type prowess funnily enough Mu and Ra, who are confirmed by Fukuda as new types, are not present. What are your thoughts on this? He includes a link to the picture, which I would note says new type with a question mark at the end. Oh, okay. And for all we know, that display could have been put up under the direction of some employee who doesn't even know anything about (laughs) new types and just slapped together different pictures of people. Right. I don't give it much thought, and that one time that Fukuda said that uh, that Mu and Rao are the last new types was a throwaway mention. They never talk about new types in the TV show, and his words were proven as a lie because then in Destiny, well, what's Ray then? Because he's a clone of Rao, so clearly Mu and Rao are not the last new types, and then Kira takes on new type sound effects, so Fukuda's full of crap. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, th- I think just the point of quoting something Fukuda says uh, just disclaims uh, <laughs> <laughs> what you're trying to prove there. Because, yeah, like Chris said, it got convoluted. If, if, if it was just one of these things, maybe if, if in a world where, you know, just seed happened and we didn't get destiny or anything... Um, maybe you could have a little bit more of a, a gripe about it, but you know, like, like Chris said, it just seems like at the end of Fukuda just got he got enamored with the new type sound effects. So he's like, oh, got to give this to Kira too. So you know, he's every <laughs> not enough, not enough that he's the ultimate coordinator and has uh, beam spam McGundam. Let's uh, let's make he's him like a new type. type too. I mean, I'm surprised they just didn't give him the you know the the, the you know magical powers too. <laughs> <laughs> he says Laurent's in this uh, this picture. I'm trying to find. Him. I don't. I don't really see him in the picture. Yeah, I, I so see. Yeah, it's I at see an odd angle, him. but I honestly don't. I, don't oh, I see, see him. him. He's in the bottom right hand corner, right next to uh, 
Oh yeah, there he yeah, is. There he is right there, next to uh, Sirocco and Full Frontal. Yeah, exactly right. He's right down there. If he was, the show did a good job at hiding that. <laughs> I mean, it, it might explain some things in Turn A Gundam, but um, it, they never really let you know, all, you know, whole hog if he was or wasn't, and um, never really made look like it was Corner. Yeah, Cor- Corin. Yeah, yeah Cor- Corin was like the only new type I can really recall being in that show, and uh, they made they made it clear that he was one. So. Out of everybody else in that show, that's the only. I don't see him in his penis pants here in this display. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) So, next we have a question from M one two one Akuma who says, "I have a very important question for the three of you. Which is a greater stain on the Transformers franchise, Revenge of the Fallen or Kiss Players?" (laughs) Yeah, I can I can ignore. The fact that Kiss Players is a thing that exists, yeah, but I can't erase from my head the memory of having seen Revenge of the Fallen. Yeah, so. you had you had to sit through it and pay money to go see it. So yeah, yeah. I'm right Rider there with strike. you. Rider Strike, Rider Strike. <laughs> Revenge of the Fallen is definitely the bigger stain. Uh, Kiss Players, it has its demographic. They sell. I've never bought one, but I've seen them, and it's like I can't believe people actually buy these. But you know, it appeals to somebody, and that's cool. So. You know, more power to you. Yeah, because Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen. Nobody, nobody continued to go see that movie because oh, no, people did. Oh, don't, I know. Just, just saying. <laughs> just because something sells doesn't mean it's good. Oh no, not at all. <laughs> all right. I don't. I don't know. I only know about Kiss players. I never seen it. So. Well, he has a handy link for you. That's no. I, I've seen. I've seen the the screen captures and stuff, but I've never like watched an episode of Kiss Player. So no, it's not a show. It, it's a toy line. But yeah, you, uh, you've seen like, you've seen them at uh, you've seen them at conventions yeah. and and at stores. So yeah, if if anything, it's it's out there. <laughs> it is. It is out there. Next, we have some questions from Sakura Angel, who says, "What will happen first? Turn again them in DVD, Seed movie, or G Savvy re-release in Blu-ray?" Ooh. Uh, none of the above. Clearly, seed movie because <laughs> it's gonna happen, guys. It's gonna happen. You're wrong, man. That G Savior Blu-ray is coming, dude. Let's go. <laughs> I'm ready to import. Actually, if any of them was to happen, it would be Turn A and DVD. Yeah. That's the only thing I could think of. No, dude, it's, it's totally the seed movie. Yeah, <laughs> but but there's only one person that can write that, and she had cancer. There's no other writers, no other screenwriters in Japan that would be able to hey, 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 put that story hey. together. What? I have hopes that the seed movie will happen, okay? Okay. <laughs> Don't mess with my hopes. Oh. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I got my hashtag ready for the seed. Let's you have get, a petition? Going, guys. We are, get an online petition ready? We, we are a movement, and we will be heard, and nobody can deny us. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag seed movie 2014. Is that what it is? <laughs> Or twenty twenty four, however long it takes. Hashtag Shin is back. We have we have a we we have an online petition. We'd like you to sign. There you go. Now you're thinking. <laughs> All right. Second question: What mobile suit, main, ground armor, or special you wish? No, you want to put out of its misery from any Gundam or Mecha anime. For example, Age One. For being way too outdated for fifty years and get beat out in any battle after Generation Two ends. Hey, Age One was a trooper. Yeah, it's shown on till the very end. If yeah. there's any one suit that I say needs to be put out of its misery because it's just too hideous to live, mm. Bolinoxaman. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> God. 
<laughs> Jew egg too, but yeah, Bola Muxaman. Well, it did end up getting put out of its misery, though, didn't it? So did the Juog. Yeah, because that was um, Sarah's suit, wasn't it? The Bola Muxaman. Yes. God, that thing is just. But, who is who is high? One, one, just... The one useful thing that cats did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then he then he freaking you know bitched about her for the next you know. Oh, Sarah. My answer talk is about, uh, what's that? Let's not talk about that little bitch. <laughs> my my answer is any of those MSVs that showed up in Unicorn episode four. <laughs> A great deal of those. The the what's the elephant one looking one? I forget what it's called. The Juag. Oh, Jesus. Um, that yeah. and there were a few other ones too in there that were just. I don't know. It's just, just, oh God, it just don't look cool. Luckily, a lot of them get put out of their misery, like the Zaccarello mm-hmm. that got put out of its misery. Um, Bolomoksamon did. Uh, oh, the Bound Dock. Oh, God, <laughs> that got put out. Well, did it really get put out of its misery, or is it just because the typical Jared? I'm just going to destroy it beyond repair and bring it bring it back, but it'll be damaged beyond repair. You know, the one suit from that series I always wanted to see more of was the Palace Athene. I, I like that one, actually, from there. It looks odd, but it's one of the better designs from, from Zeta. Yeah. But I got taken down by your girl. I, yeah, yeah, sure did. <laughs> Next, we've got Haro Meister, who says, Hi, Gundam. I just finished watching Broken Blade, and I was wondering if you guys can do a little roundup for it since it was mentioned a few episodes back. I'm sure we will in the future. Mm-hmm. It's one of the shows I definitely want to watch. It's another fantasy mecha anime as well. So that's, uh, that's definitely something I'd, I'd like to dive into. Yes. Coming up next is Saber, who says, Number one, in the past you have d- discussed the impossibility of a female protagonist in a Gundam series. But how about the opposite? A female main antagonist. Mm. We haven't had those since Haman back in Double Zeta. Only thing we're getting these days are crazy female pilots slash girlfriends. Katagina, Stella, Louise, Gerardo Sprigan. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise, how about a female masked rival? I, I think those are more possible to, to happen, actually. Happen. Um, you know, I would like to see it. I would, I would welcome it as well, especially if you, if you got the pedigree of Haman. Um, to look back on, then you know, if you got a character that's, you know, somewhat within, you know, her 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 level of awesome, then I, I welcome it. Uh, and or somebody and, like uh, Cassilia. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cassilia um, was was a fun character to watch in Mobile Suit. Yeah, too bad she she, she should have got more of the <laughs> more of the screen time for the zombies. <laughs> she easily had the worst death too. <laughs> I can't imagine how how she could get nailed by a rocket launcher and get decapitated. Well, I mean, he was Char was a new type. Char was a new type, man. He freaking it's like it's like shooting from half court, man. <laughs> but he did it, man. He did it. All right, number two. Since it wasn't brought up in your discussion of Gundam Unicorn episodes four and five, what's your take on Ken Narita, aka Orange Coon, as the new voice for Bright Noah? Personally, if I didn't know that Suzuoki was dead, I hardly would have noticed the difference. He's that good. He sounded very similar to to uh, to the original voice as well. Um, I, I was watching it and I I was I was quite fine with it. I watched uh, Unicorn in both languages, and um, listening to the new Japanese voice was a turncoat. I can't believe you watched it in English. Of <laughs> course, oh, no, no. Uh, what's this? Oh, God, I'm blanking out right now. Um, Keda. 
Yeah. There's no arcade in English. I, I watch it in Japanese first, and I watch it in English afterwards, man. I, I don't, I, there's no harm in doing that. I know Ikeda's in there. I don't, I don't mean to besmirch yeah. Ikeda. You're a Besides, Ikeda wasn't even in episode five. It just had a silent cameo. Yeah, he just, he just, his his visage showed up, but no voice there. <laughs> yeah, because they were trying to be cute. You knew he was going to say something. Yeah. But he didn't. I know. <laughs> but I wish they did as they brought back uh, Chris Calhoun to do Bright Noah's voice in English. That's what I wish they did. But um, they, they it's bank Zoom, so it's a completely it's different voice pool. Yeah. And it would have been nice if they gotten Michael Copsa as full frontal, but that yeah. wasn't going to happen either. Nope. Nope. Different voice pool that the, the, the send the, the dub up to uh, to Canada. And I'd rather be a bank Zoom, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, I would say that uh, he was very good in the role, and if I didn't know that Suzuki was dead, sometimes I'd say to myself, man, he just sounds so much like it's creepy. Yeah, he did. Some of the words <coughs> he did say, he did sound like him. So. And next, we're going to skip a question from Angel Wing Zero asking about the Disney acquisition of Star Wars because we had a segment on it. Done that. So refer to that. Next, we've got Yokozuna Bulldozer who says, Hello! <laughs> In all caps, I take it. Indeed. Yes. <laughs> With an exclamation mark at the end. Oh, okay. Number one, do you like your protagonist mecha remote controlled or controlled from inside a cockpit? Cockpit. Um, cockpit all day. Yeah. Number two, do you like your protagonist mecha fighting melee combat or ranged combat? Melee. Yeah. Melee. Either or. Number three, do you like your protagonist mecha painted in cheerful bright colors or depressingly desaturated colors? Ooh. Desaturated and depressing. Oh yeah, man, with the with the rugged old pilot, <laughs> and, and with bloodstains of all of the dead that have been killed all over. See, 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 Chirico scope dogs. Yeah, I was just about to say that shit. <laughs> red shoulders, baby, red shoulders. Red shoulders yeah. all day. <laughs> those red, sho- those red shoulders is just the dried blood as he would, you know, put the shoulder of the scope dog into the cockpit of the other one and crush the pilot. The dried blood shoulders. Dry blood and rust. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, I would rather see darker or depressingly desaturated colors. A, a, a mech that's been through, has been through the fire. I would like to see that. Um, cheerful bright colors is cool, but we see that all the time. So it would be nice to see a change of pace there. Okay, Proteus has some questions. He says, number one, Battlestar Galactica Blood and Chrome will be airing on Machinima Prime YouTube channel on November 9th, 2012. By the time you read this, it should have already been aired. A total of 10 episodes, 7 to 12 minutes each. Have you guys seen it? And if so, what do you guys think about it? For Neo, seeing Admiral kick some toaster butt again, does it rustle your jimmies? Ooh. That's kind of personal to ask, but <laughs> anytime I can see robots being put in their place is a good thing. And then definitely seeing... Uh, the, uh, Lieutenant Admiral or Ensign Admiral, whatever he was at that point, <laughs> kicking some toaster butt is um, that's that's a good day. And I only saw the first two episodes because I got kind of I'm I'm just gonna wait for the whole thing to come out because I kind of understand why they're this is like the new thing of doing these you know the shorts and then you know till they build up to everything. But they're also a little kind of annoying too because you're like wow. I'm as I'm getting into this now I have to wait and it's like it's only they're they're only like five or six minute episodes it's like can't you just put the whole stupid thing out it it just doesn't make any sense to me but I don't know call me crazy so you're crazy <laughs> I guess so because I mean 
that I'd want to see the whole thing, right? Jeez. So it'd be soon enough before it's uh, it's all out there. So I know it's I know it's a marketing tool to get people to go to YouTube and mocking up crime. I mean, it's, I understand all that, but in the end, too, it's like sometimes it's just can I just have the whole dumb thing? Because this isn't even a situation where it's like regular television episodes long. This is just like like six or seven minute episode things that's going to become what like an hour and a half movie. I mean, yeah. really? It's kind of just, it's a little bit too much. So, well, there you have it. So, bro? I, I haven't watched it yet. I've only watched the uh, the trailer. Um, I'm waiting for it all to be out there because it'll drive me nuts to watch a, a web series uh, episode by episode. I've done that with other ones, and I hate that. I just like to wait until it's all done and then knock it out like it's a movie. Same here. Question I, number two. Oh, mm-hmm. go ahead. Oh, no, but I, I know that we are going to be covering it. Um, once it is all complete and uh, yes. we'll all be watching it and talking about it in a future episode of Gundam. Number two. For Neil, if Jabman were to challenge you to a duel to the death Gundam fight, what will you do? Wow. Please be noted that he'll be using strike freedom, plus he'll be in seed mode, plot armor mode, main character mode, spam mode, Ooh. Jesus mode, and bloodlust mode. Nice. To balance this out, you can do whatever that you like, including kidnapping, etc., but you're only allowed to use mobile suits. Chris will be in the turn A and act as the announcer, while Sobro will be in the turn X and he can be the ring girl. <laughs> wow. Go- Gundam fight? Ready? Go! <laughs> P.S. As a reminder, Chris, if you decide to end it all with Moonlight Butterfly, please do take into consideration that the only other person that would survive is Sobro and his turn X, and you will be stuck with him for the rest of your life. You don't want that, do you? <laughs> Damn. All right, man. I know who this guy leans toward. Yeah. <laughs> Not a Solbro fan, huh? Damn. Damn. He, apparently, he's full of wind. <laughs> Proteus, I'm looking at you, bro. I'm looking at you. That's all right, man. I got my eye on you, bro. Okay. So shining I, finger, too. No shit. <laughs> so what would I would do if, if Jab Man has all the First, I would laugh mm-hmm. excessively. And after about a day or two, once I stop laughing... Um, and he said, I can't use turn A because Chris will be in turn A. Yes. So what I would do then is go to an alternate reality, pick up the Adeon, and then <laughs> take care of everything. Uh, killing Jabman, uh, Chris uh, will be saved, and Solbro would be saved because they're in the turn A and turn X. So Chris wouldn't have, he wouldn't be just stuck with, um, just soul bro he'd have me there too and then we'd probably just end up um um you know making fun of soul bro's uh, crazy obsession to capcom for the you, rest uh, of would, you, would you bring the the blue space raccoon with you yes space i would squirrel? Ray Squirrel would come because you do need to <laughs> you you do need to repopulate the Earth with uh, some critters so you can eat them later on. So um, yeah, that's what I would do. Actually, I'd probably just get into the DeLorean to go back into an alternate universe to get the day on. So that's how we'd do it. So all right, Jab, there you have, Jab Man there you does have. not win. Yeah, no man, just get into the freedom, dude. It's the better suit anyway. <laughs> Unfortunately, though, you got to remember the uh, what is it? The generator for the strike freedom is from the freedom. So what would I sit there oh. paddle in space? I would just say get into freedom, and if 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 you could, and then use the neutron gemma cancel them. Well, true. <laughs> the, the the generator from the strike freedom is not from the freedom. Oh, I thought it was. No, it's not. Oh, okay. Guess well, I was wrong. Well, hmm. well who could remember Ill-informed shit about that show? 
newscaster. <laughs> I swear Tampa to God, I thought, the it, match. I, I thought it. No, I thought the. I thought the power plant was from it. The nuclear reactor was from the um, freedom. Remember, because he had to turn off the reactor before it blew. I know, so he'd save himself. But I thought they put that in there. So, okay, guess I was wrong. I haven't seen Destiny in a while, and I don't plan on seeing it again. So. <laughs> <laughs> how dare you, sir? What? How dare I what? Be wrong on a show that I hate? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> next we have Mobius Diablo who says, Sobro! Oh. I heard on the Tomocast that you're catching up with Sword Art Online. How do you like it? And I already know your man for this show as well. Nagata the useless wimp friend. <laughs> don't know if you're that far ahead with all that Netflix and Hulu. Oh. Man, they just love you today, don't you? God damn it. What'd you yeah. do? In these people's Cheerios or something? Apparently, I am that Negro to shit. I'm the Negro to shit on tonight. <laughs> RG3 and they're all Rob Parker? Damn, son. Apparently so. Apparently Damn. so. Um, I am watching Sword Art Online. I um, I finished the first arc and I am now on the, the second arc. Um, I'm on episode. Uh, I just started episode 20. So um, I'm liking it. Uh, I, a lot of the show reminds me point with the useless friend now. Uh, Nagata, I thought Nagata was cool. Uh, he was the uh, he was the guy who thought he was going to be able to go, jump into the game, and then uh, after playing it for a few hours, have his pizza that he delivered, and then he found out he couldn't leave the game along with everybody else. Basically, just to set up the premise, it's an online game that everybody uh, signed up for day one, and when they sign into this game, they have to wear these virtual reality helmets and they communicate through these microwaves and then when they all get into this virtual reality world of warcraft type game um they find out from the guy who makes the game that none of them will be able to leave the game unless a they die which means their the the helmet will fry their brain in real life killing them or b someone beats the game so everybody's trapped in this game the first month like four thousand people die out of the ten thousand so only six thousand players are left and they're in there for a long time but, so what um, is this? This basically sounds like the online version of Battle Royale. Pretty much, if you yeah. look at it that way. But it, a lot of it reminded me of when I was playing Fantasy Star Online, online on the Dreamcast back in the day when it came out. And a lot of the story elements in there remind me of that. So I, I, I like Your brain would fry if you lost? Not so much you... that. Just the experiences that I had in that game, a, a little bit translates over to oh, the nostalgia trade. Hey, I, I, I am the conductor. <laughs> All aboard the Nostalgia <laughs> Express. <laughs> Destination <laughs> Fantasy Star. It was, it was with it, connecting it, to Voltron and <laughs> Rome Attack and all the other crap. <laughs> but I like the show. I, I think it's cool. I heard that um season two isn't as good, but um I'm watching it now and I still think it has a lot of the fun element that was there. It doesn't seem to be as dark as season one, but I like the show and I, I hope it continues to, to to keep my attention. All right, and next we've got the loser villain. <laughs> <clears throat> who says, with Bandai DVDs becoming harder to find as they go out of print and people jack up the price, are there any series that you would suggest looking into other than Gundam? I have most of those. Just bought up both Code Geass seasons and I'm looking to get some of the shows I may have missed out on. Well, you're lucky, friend, because Code Geass is completely gone now. Yeah. Uh, both, I believe, from Amazon and just recently from Right Stuff, and that stuff is gone forever. So yeah. <clears throat> if there's anything left to be had because it's all been massacred and jacked up now on oh, Amazon okay. and eBay, um, Planets is good. Yep, own that. Uh, both seasons of The Big O. Yep, got that too. Uh, not a mecha show, but Wolf's Reign is a great show and is uh, worth getting. Mm -hmm. What else? Uh, oh, Escaflone. 
<laughs> yes. Yes, yes, Coflone, most definitely. Uh, um, I'm, I'm looking right now, and uh, Code Geass R2, the complete collection anime DVD, the American version, mm-hmm. is going for the low price of $54.99 on eBay right now. Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's actually not too pretty, bad. That's, that's pretty good. That's pretty it'll cheap, it'll yeah. go up. It, yeah. That's yeah. at least not as bad as the guys yeah. selling 00 Season 2 on Amazon for like a couple of hundred, like $500. A personal favorite of mine from Bandai Entertainment. It's not a mecha show. Um, Kazuno Yojimbo. Um, if you can find that, get it. It's a really good show. It's a, a, an anime adaptation of the Yojimbo uh, movie uh, from uh, from Akira. Oh my God! Why am I blanking on his last name? Kurosawa. Uh, Akira Kurosawa. Thank you. Yeah, it's a really great adaptation of that series. Uh, that movie as a 26 episode series. Other than that, Outlaw Star and of course Cowboy Bebop, as we mentioned. Actually, I would also recommend King Gainer, but unfortunately yeah. that's been out of print already for Ooh, a few years anyway. Yeah. So that one's not going to come cheaply. Yeah. No. Okay. No, I was just going to say here. I'm looking. Uh, Mobile Suit Gundam Double O. Uh, season one, the completely first season, thirty four dollars. So. On eBay. That is that is that a real deal or is that a uh, a bootleg? A <laughs> bootleg. <laughs> um, <laughs> gotta gotta click on that photo and see. Yeah, no, it's the real deal. It's actually the real deal. So it's it yeah, it's not the bootleg or bootleg. But um. Well, he already has Gunham, so that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Screw him then. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I was getting this for the other listeners, not this guy. Oh. <laughs> Well, well he's, obviously he's a loser villain, so you don't care. He's a loser I, villain, man. I love his I love his signature, Camille. If it wasn't for you, Jared's last words. <laughs> Good stuff. S- slamming into a green exploding uh, starship. No better way to go out. <laughs> and right. our last question for this episode comes from Animalia, Ooh. who says, "Who do you think is worse?" Orisa from Gundam Age or Kakazaki from Macross? For my money, I would say Kakazaki. This is because while Orisa does have a lot of spunk, at least doesn't boast as well. In other words, she may enjoy her job, but she doesn't kid herself that she is ace material like Kakazaki did. But Kakazaki had his steak. Yeah, man. Well done. <laughs> He's got good know. taste. And I never thought of Kakazaki as being too cocky. He was... Yeah, there was a little arrogance to him, but he wasn't, you know. Well, he never as, really did much of anything, yeah, and he yeah. did he did talk a lot of shit. Yeah, he was the well, he average pilot. Talked, he always talked it when he was around Max. Yeah, you know, so he he you know he was trying to think he was as good as Max, but yeah, I mean, you can't you can't completely blame Kakazaki. Well, he kind of can. He could have lost some weight, so the the a Valkyrie wouldn't be so heavy, so he could have hit the. Uh, the thr- the afterburners a little more and expla- escape the explosion. So maybe it is his problem. Too much steak in his diet. But that, that leads me to ask the question: How do how do fat dudes and drunks get to be ace pilots in, in the Macross well, universe? Well, drunks drunks it's no problem. But uh. <laughs> that's why I love Macross. You got hippies, fat dudes, drunks, and they all are functioning pilots. It's great. Well, I mean, it got to a point. Everybody can succeed. You and Spacey wants you. Dudes that wear glasses, get out. Oh, don't even, don't even, well, don't even think about how many functioning alcoholics there are in real life. That's true. That's true. It was no big thing with Roy. (laughs) Believe me, I'm sure back in the, uh, you know, in in many of our wars uh, in the past, we've had uh, soldiers and pilots go up with, um, you know, a few pints in them. So indeed. Absolutely, but uh, yeah, that's that's one of the things I love about Macross. Steak, right? That's steak. 
This is Kakazaki. Here's the flag from you and Spacey. And, and the doggy bag. And your son's uh, half-eaten New York strip. <laughs> it's, it was the only thing he left behind for anyone. <laughs> we he dehydrated it to preserve it. <laughs> he actually scribbled on a cocktail napkin, if I don't finish the steak, give it to my mom. <laughs> it's a really good steak, guys. Seriously. <laughs> <It was laughs> best steak eight. ever. Perfectly aged. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So, so that will wrap up the mailbag, and oh. uh, I will kick it back to Neo. All right. So extended Neo uh, mailbag. I guess that cleaned us up for a while there. Um, guys, anything else before we move on and uh, end this episode? Chris, any any MHQ business uh, that you need to attend to or like to talk about? or anything Well, I like- would like to mention that we have a new Facebook group for MHQ. Absolutely. Because uh, for whatever reason, Facebook, in their infinite wisdom, you can edit group names mm-hmm. uh, for groups but the Gundam group in particular doesn't let us do that. Hmm. Yeah, it's, I don't uh, know why. I don't understand it either. It's it's, it's it's so silly that they won't let you allow you to edit the name or make make adjustments like well, that. Well, you you can edit the name as mm-hmm. I discovered, but on Gundam specifically you cannot. What? <laughs> Damn. That's hmm. so stupid. I I, I don't I, know if this is just some bug from when the group was created or some other nonsense, but uh, it is what it is. And having the group be named Gundam when it really is for all of MHQ, including the site and mm-hmm. Chaos Theater, just uh, didn't make sense. Working, didn't make yeah. sense. So I went and created an MHQ group, which we've transitioned much of our audience to and the old group is going to be closing down on January 1st mm-hmm. so if you do want to visit the new group it's at facebook.com slash groups slash MAHQ and the number one why is the number one there? well when you're doing a vanity name Facebook requires that it be at least five letters so oh. <laughs> hmm. well I guess it's not, wow that sucks well, sounds <laughs> but, like we got sucked but, but, <laughs> we did get sucked we got sucked over. Yeah, we did. It's still easy enough to remember, though, so that's good. And Or um, just go to Facebook and type in MHQ. There you go. So check it out. Soulbro, what uh, podcast were you on this past week? <laughs> I'm not on any podcast, oh. but I do, oh. I do want to remind our listeners that after you listen to this episode, you can head on over to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com slash Gundam, M-A-H-Q and listen to a lot of the extra segments from previous episodes and this one that'll be that'll be posted up there and um just uh i also uploaded um if you liked any of those uh little musical interludes that i've i put in in the in in the middle of the episodes over the years i just uploaded every last one of them to uh youtube as well so if you want to just listen to those individually you can and um be on the lookout subscribe to the channel um there might be more content going up in time and um, just keep an eye out there for extra content for Gundam at MAHQ. And it sounds like stuff on YouTube won't get zucked up. So. <laughs> It'll get Googled up instead. Um, outside of that, I just want to wish everybody a happy holiday season. It's been a, it's been a trying year. Um, I know that you know a lot of things happened this year. It's 2012, uh, uh, some great events, some really sad ones, some tragedies and whatnot. And I, I know you can help to get, I know it can. Like every other year, there's not good stuff and bad stuff that happens. I don't know, man. I just, uh, I, not, not to bring up anything bad, but yeah, just, just some bad things have happened recently that have just, you know, it's, it just makes you wonder what the, what the world, is, what, what the hell is going on. And, um, 
that's I what everyone always says every year. Yeah, exactly. There's always bad this things is, happening. That's yeah, true. that that's why I said what I said because you sound like everybody. It's like, oh, this is this is the year that was just worse than others, and it's like it's just the times, I guess. People, people die. <laughs> pe- you know, there's just there's strife, and it's always been like that, man. Very true. But um, my heart goes out to anybody who is uh touched by tragedy this year and um thank you for all the listeners and all the support um all the guests we've had on the show this year and i hope you guys have a happy holiday season and um i hope 2013 is prosperous for everybody who uh listens to us and and participates with the show and uh, year from now prosperous for anyone who doesn't listen to us (laughs) (laughs) for them too but not as much (laughs) keep your hopes and dreams in check right chris indeed no, guys, I'm all about hopes and dreams now. You don't know, man. You don't know. Yeah. 2013 is a bright future for me. Yeah. There you go. So no, many talking. petitions. So many petitions. <laughs> so, many. so many petitions, so, so little time, right? <laughs> oh, man, it's a new Chris. We'll see him next year. <laughs> all right. Well, before we go, Solbro, can you tell us where people can uh, get a hold of us? Yeah, by all means. Everyone peep these websites. Head on over where the magic happens. M-A-H-Q.net. That's the Mecca and Anime headquarters. Also, you can check out Gundam's main website at Gundam.net. That's right. It's spelled as it sounds. Also, you can find us on iTunes, Facebook, and other forms of social networking. If you look for those links, you'll find them at Gundam.net as well. After listening to this episode, you should definitely check out Chaos Theater. And you can find it by going to chaostheater.blogspot.com. A jack-of-all-trades otaku podcast hosted by MAHQ and Gundam's own Chris Guanche and our favorite pedal bear South, Pedro Cortez. In addition, um, our, our guest that was on the show earlier, Karen Strassman, um, visit her website, which is karenstrassman.com. And definitely follow her on Twitter at Karen Strassman. You'll see the links in this in this episode's post, as well as uh, on the uh, on Gundam.net as well. So um, back to you, Neo, and thanks uh, thanks everybody. All right, well uh, that's the end of episode 116, and we'll be back in a few weeks with episode 117. Uh, we'll see you guys later, listening to Gundam at MHQ. <laughs> I'm sick of acting like a freaking invalid. Crap, he saw me. There's no question it's her. Can can I help you with something? I want answers. Were you the one piloting the Glasgow and Shinjuku? Yes. Why terrorism? Because I'm Japanese. Though technically I'm half Britannian. <laughs> half blood? But why go so far? Uh, um, did you want something? No. I got what I wanted here. Oh, wait. Just to be sure. Don't tell anyone about Shinjuku. Uh, What do you mean about Shinjuku? (laughs) Why would you say that? Go back to class. As soon as I get an answer to my question, I will. It's not working? What's going on here? Gundam 
at MAHQ is a Shinjuku station and MAHQ.net joint. have a place to go home to and nothing could make me happier I'm sure you understand we can be together anytime we want Lala. La. 